She's like, look, I'm a busy time witch. I have, like, stuff on my (laughs) calendar. Like, I only allotted 30 seconds for you to give me my stupid ring back in my store. And now here we are eating chestnuts and killing people. (laughs) I'm already behind. I know. I'm already behind on my time card, bro. Hello and welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 25-year-old actor and artist. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. I do want to make a slight addendum uh-huh. that I, I said uh, 26, uh-huh. because although while we're recording this, I am 25, this episode actually comes out on my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. So that's exciting for me. Congratulations. Our fun fact for this episode is, um, like, if... There was a busker on the sidewalk and they were singing a song. What song would like make you stop? And actually this has happened to me and Brittany, you were there. It's true. I was. Why don't you tell the story? Um, we were eating at a place. It, it, it's a really delicious place that actually used to be a drag bar. And we were outside on the patio and we had just like moved into our new place. And the guy standing outside in this little artist square started singing Wonderwall. And it felt like a sign from above, you know? And then I started crying in the restaurant. I was gonna not tell that part of the story. Just <laughs> I'm not to, embarrassed. Just to help you out. I'm okay. not a, at all embarrassed. Yeah, she fully cried, but it was really cute and it totally felt like a sign. Well, and then he was gonna leave. And so I had to go and quick and get, give him money. Yeah. In a book I've been reading recently, it reminded me of this moment actually this guy, like the guy in the book has this like, I don't want to call it like a manifesto, but like a promise to himself that if he has a song like in his head or a song he's been thinking about and he hears a busker singing that song that he has to go and empty out his entire wallet for this busker. Oh. Um, I didn't do that. I think I gave like $5, but <laughs> I was pretty excited about it. So basically the same song that makes Desmond stop and stare is also the same song that makes me stop and stare. So true, queen. Which is why I love this episode. I love that for you. Thanks. And my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 31-year-old journalist from beautiful post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. I like badass moms and long naps. I'm on Twitter at Appertania, where I can be found attempting to be interesting and talking about my cat. And um, the song I would stop for... <sighs> It's hard because um, I have a lot of like favorite songs, but one that would like actually stop me in my tracks and like make me give someone money is um, Janie's Got a Gun. Mm-hmm. I think that's a banging song. And that's it. I just like the song. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this episode, our guest is Claire. Woo-hoo! Hello. Oh, wow. uh, my name is Claire Willett. I'm a 39 year old writer from Portland, Oregon. I like middle-aged actresses and Catholic redemption arcs. I'm on Twitter at, at Claire Willett if you want politics yelling and general dumbassery. Uh, or at Claire Trek if you want to watch me live tweet every Star Trek series. And mine would be, I think if I was walking down the street and heard a busker playing anything by Billy Joel. I have like a Pavlovian response to Billy Joel. Like I hear mm-hmm. it in a grocery store or on the radio. And it's just, and I know I have like, like an encyclopedic knowledge of every Billy Joel song. Mm-hmm. And I can recognize them in like two seconds. And it's just like, it's like my entire childhood. Um, So I feel like if I was like walking down the street and I heard a busker playing any Billy Joel song, I would need to stop and like sing along with him until he finished. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had Claire on for our 201 podcast, which was the first time we ever got to meet Desmond. So it makes sense that she would be here on this Desmond episode. So true. Um, And she's also 
a time travel author, so it makes sense that she would be on this time travel-esque episode. My favorite topic to discuss is time travel. So who are some of your favorite characters on Lost? (sighs) That's such a good question. So, well, one of the reasons I was really excited to get to do this one is that Desmond and Penny are definitely in my uh, my top five list, both individually and just, and their relationship, I think is, is so wonderful. My number one favorite from the beginning all the way through to the end, very consistently was Saeed. I was a huge mm-hmm. Saeed fan. I have like, I have, <laughs> I have a very clear type with like the, the, the men on the shows that I love, who mm-hmm. I am like, just sort of really like, like emotionally graft onto. It's always like, you know, tortured man with dark backstory who's trying <laughs> to be good now so it's like like yeah. marcus kane on the hundred john mm-hmm. reese on person of interest so it's just like that's like like you you're my guy like yeah, yeah like yeah. you know man with like traumatic baggage trying for redemption so i so society is my favorite i love hurley um everybody loves hurley that's hardly a surprise and juliet um obviously another another fan favorite and then i also just because like i'm also a i'm a religious person so echo was always really special and fascinating and Mm -hmm. wonderful to me. I loved his whole story and all the episodes where he played a role in his backstory and stuff too. But, um, but yeah, but Desmond and Penny are, are for sure in my, in my top. So it's really exciting to get a chance to talk about, talk about them and talk about time travel. Two things I love most in the world. So if um, if our listeners don't remember, can you talk a little bit about your like journey with Lost and how it sort of like came came to you? <laughs> yeah, I so I I think part of why I love Lost so much is because I I came to it late. I mm-hmm. I I think I first started watching it in probably like maybe twenty. 16 or 17 mm-hmm. and it was through the 100 fandom there's obviously just because Henry and Cusick was in both shows there was a lot of crossover and and I met a lot of people through the 100 fandom who are also huge fans of Lost so obviously that's how I met Robin that's how mm-hmm. I met Joe Garfine who's been on the podcast before so a lot of people who listen to this podcast will know like, like lots of the people that I know yeah and so so one of the things I think was really helpful about that experience was like I didn't watch the show at all in real time when it was on network television. I I watched it after it was over and on the recommendation of friends who knew me really well, know the kinds of shows that I like and don't like and, and were not sort of, so I wasn't, I wasn't shaped by a lot of the kind of pop culture discourse around the show that really affected the experience of people who watched it like while it was running live, Mm -hmm. you know, whether like, ship war stuff or was the finale a bust stuff or all that kind of stuff I just sort of sat down and binged it and I kind of knew what I was getting into when I got into it like I knew Mm -hmm. you know there'll be questions that are never resolved for you that's fine you know it becomes much more character focused it has this mysticism to it you know all of those sort of things and so so I was ready for that which made me really um, emotionally invested in the experience. So I wasn't sort of taken by surprise. Like when, when did this show that was Survivor become this show that was about like magical island mysticism? That's like, no, yeah. that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the mysticism. So, so I think that's part of why it was such a satisfactory experience. But I think, I think it is a show that really rewards kind of 
coming into it late in the game when it sort of exists as an entire thing. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of decide like, is this entire thing something that I want to get into? And I I really liked, I I was a big fan of Alias. That was my sort of, that was kind of my initial, you know, sort of J.J. Abrams joint. And I never Mm -hmm. got into Lost just because it always sort of felt like like a commitment. You're just like, oh my God, this is like a show. Like you have to start it from the beginning and you you can't watch it with your phone in your hand. Like you have to pay attention. Um, So it just never, and I also, I think I thought at the time, it was just like, it's just sort of like a bunch of just generic hot people stranded on a beach. I'm yeah. not super interested in that. Like the first season of it wasn't marketed to me in a way that made me feel like, yes, I want to make this my appointment viewing, you know, weekly show, <laughs> whatever. So I, I just was never, I never cared about it particularly. And something that was really fun when I started to watch it was I realized very quickly that all of the things I had kind of, you know, picked up through pop culture osmosis about what the show was quote unquote about about sort of get maxed out by the end of season one like I knew like okay there's a smoke monster there's like the others and I like recognized who like Jack and Locke were yeah there's a hatch and what I realized was that basically from the time season two starts I was like oh I have no idea what's gonna happen like all the things (laughs) that I that I thought that I knew all the sort of cultural touch point moments I was waiting for just from having like picked up an us magazine in a hair salon occasionally you know (laughs) Like, we're all like, okay, those things have all now been dispensed with, and, and you are in totally new territory. And I think because I was, because I was watching it and live tweeting it, and, and so many of my friends from fandom were kind of on this journey with me, people were really kind and really protective about keeping me from being spoiled, which was yeah. really generous and wonderful. So I got to experience these these big twist moments and stuff kind of in real time and and this episode when i watched the show was one of i think like when we'll when we'll get to this when we get to it, but like what the scene in the jewelry store mm-hmm. like i screamed at my television <laughs> it was like this record scratch like what the hell is like what just happened yeah. um and so i just i really i really appreciated how like how hard people worked to preserve kind of the integrity of that experience for me, because I actually do think that it is a show that like your first time through getting all of those kind of like shock and surprise moments unfolding organically is part of what made it really special. Yeah. That's all the, that's, that's all the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that hearing about or watching someone watch Lost for the first time is like such a joy because there's just like, there's so much. <laughs> like it's it's mm-hmm. very much that insistent. What part are you at? What part are you at? Yeah. Like Yeah. And it's also really fun. I mean, I like like I've been I've been binge watching out my uh, my girlfriend Alice, who was just on this podcast for the um, finale roundtable. X Files was that show for her, and I have yes. seen like a handful of random episodes through the years, and I think I watched the movie, um, but I have never sat down and watched it from the beginning. And so we've been doing that as our sort of like long distance quarantine date time every week mm-hmm. um, on Saturday mornings, and it's really fun because like you know she's. She's seen it a million times. She has like the DVD box set. She knows every single episode. So it's just really fun for me to get to like experience like her sharing something with me that like has so shaped kind of her pop culture, you know, viewpoint. And I really feel Robin, like I feel like you were that for me with Lost. Like it's it's Aww. also just it's just really fun to watch somebody that you really care about love something at you, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. It's like the way Sam and I have been doing the exact same thing with the X-Files. Like, literally, we stayed up till 2 a.m. watching it the other day. And we're in, like, season three. And I was like, oh, okay. So we have, like, Jose Chung coming up. And, like, all of these ones. And then it's like, oh, God, the cockroach episode. But, like, because I've seen it all. And she's seen 
None of it. See, and I'm I I saw Sam tweeting, and I'm really mad because you guys lapped us. You're ahead of us now. (laughs) (laughs) I was really spicy about that. I'm so sorry. Claire's like, oh, spoilers! I don't want to know about the cockroaches. All right, you guys, should we should we get into this episode? Uh, Let's yeah, I guess we can. do it. Okay. That sounds okay to me. Okay. Today we have words to say about episode 308 of Lost, Flashes Before Your Eyes. So the title of Flashes Before Your Eyes, Desmond's life, or at least a part of it, literally flashes before his eyes. Um, and uh, the theme of eyes is obviously very prevalent throughout the show. What? Um, the broadcast date for this episode was February 14th, 2007. Uh, as we're recording this, very soon. It uh, will February, be February 14th. 14th. And uh, Valentine's Day? You're telling me that viewers had to go on Valentine's Day and watch Desmond break up with Penny <laughs> again. That's so hurtful. That's rude. <laughs> it was written by Damon Lindelof and Drew Goddard, and it was directed by Jack Bender. Course. Oh, your friend Jack Bender. Yeah, three names we are very familiar with. A couple of fun facts about this episode that I pulled off of Lostpedia. Um, no character or actor who appeared in the previous episode appears in this episode. This is the first of only two times in the show's history, and the second one happened in the next episode. So, for example, like, last episode was, like, Juliet, Jack... Kate Sawyer, and it was like, that was it. We didn't see anybody on the other island, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why now this is like all other island and then Desmond stuff. Um, And then the next episode is like back on Hydra Island. I noticed that it felt very contained, which was interesting. Like there's that, there's that very brief, you get like Saeed and Locke for a second. Yeah. Yeah. And like Sun and the baby for a second. But the bulk of this episode is like maybe four characters and you know, plus the Desmond flashbacks. I thought, and I thought that was interesting, like that it's mm-hmm. it's not like a bottle episode exactly, but it's an extremely tightly focused story. Yeah, exactly. And the other fun fact that I picked off of Lostpedia was that um, this is the second of only five episodes in which both Matthew Fox and Evangeline Lilly do not appear. The other being uh, the other forty eight days so far, and then three other ones that haven't happened yet. That's why, like. When people say, who's the character that was on every episode of Lost? There isn't one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks it's Hurley for some reason. Yeah, everyone thinks it's Hurley for some reason, and it certainly wasn't. But it's just interesting that people think of Lost as, like, one of those shows where your main character... Like, it's so small that your main characters are, have to be the the focus of every single one of them. It's like, no, we have so many other characters that are just as interesting that have also need stories mm-hmm. told. So. And they do a better job of, I mean, the logistics of juggling an ensemble this size, especially yeah. given that there are new characters like every season, mm-hmm. I think it's actually sort of remarkable that they manage to keep the balls in the air enough that you never really lose track of anyone for too long. Mm-hmm. And you get enough of the sort of the meat of everybody's flashbacks and backstory as it's needed without it ever really feeling like, like you, like you lose anybody for so long. You're like, Oh, I, I haven't seen Hurley in forever. Or like, Oh, what's Kate doing? Like the balance is really tricky and they do a very nice job of it. Mm-hmm, I agree. So now Brittany is going to summarize the episode for us, just in case our lovely listeners aren't like, you know, watching along with us, which is totally fine. If I was you, I'd be like, I've seen Lost eight or nine times and I don't need, <laughs> I don't need to rewatch the episode every time, but it's nice to know uh, exactly what happens in it. Just to be sure. Just just in case. Mm-hmm. All right. In the past slash AU slash who knows what, 
Desmond gets his butt blown up after turning the hatch key and finds himself back in 1996, which is a great year to be in since the Lost World Jurassic Park came out that year and Jeff Goldblum was truly in his prime. I say that as if every year of his life was in his prime, but I digress. Anyway, so Des wakes up covered in paint and realizes that he's back to the time Penny moved into his flat. He prepares to go to a job interview with her crappy dad and gets spooked by a microwave. Little Desmond things. Anyway, the job interview was actually Des's idea of shooting his shot and asking Mr. Widmore if he can marry Penny, which uh, of course he can't because Widmore is evil AF and he doesn't think Des will ever be worthy. Des is angry and runs into Charlie singing Wonderwall outside and realizes he's done all of this before. Hmm. He goes to find his convenient physicist friend and says he's definitely time traveling, right? And his friend is like, oh, well, no, that's not a thing. And also, I will never appear in this show again. <laughs> Anyway, Des tries to predict things and gets it wrong, so maybe he's not time-traveling, maybe he's just crazy. Penny tells him he's a good man and he doesn't believe her. He goes to buy a ring for her and meets the Guardian of Forever, aka Eloise, who tells him he's not supposed to buy a ring, he's supposed to chicken out and run out on Penny. He's gotta keep the timeline intact after all. He ends up doing exactly that the next day, because fate. He goes to drink away his sorrows and realizes his predictions were all true, he just had them a day early. Anyway, he gets hit in the head with a bat. What a day for old Des. On the island, Des basically spends his time trying to keep Charlie alive. He saves Claire from drowning and then gets drunk with Charlie and Hurley, who both correctly think that Des can see the future. The thing Charlie gets wrong is that Des isn't exactly seeing everyone's future, just Charlie's. He's going to die and nothing Desmond can do can stop it. Yeah. I just wanted to say that I'm incredibly impressed with that summary that you just wrote. Well, that you just said because uh -huh. I think that's the least amount of stutters you've ever done in a summary. Thank you. I was well, I actually <laughs> like, I don't think I have to edit that at all. I actually practiced it because um I wanted to get my Jeff Goldblum joke right. Yeah. So <laughs> I really You're so valid. It. Yeah. Thank you. So I think that this episode is pretty just like it, it's kind of impossible to do it anything other than chronologically. So that is how I split it up. Okay, you can. Okay, thanks. I'm hey, glad no that I can because okay. I did. Okay. Okay, first of all, Charlie and Hurley go through Sawyer's stash while he's gone. They're looking for <laughs> usable stuff. Charlie says that Sawyer would want them to, which just straight up isn't true. Desmond shows up and asks them to come with him. That's the first scene. Uh-huh. Why Why Char Charlie and Hurley acting like Sawyer's dead? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, well, let's uh, let's divvy up his stuff, I guess. Like, he's been gone for a while, right? Like, he's been gone for like a week. Like, what made you wait until now? I feel like just the sheer fear of of Sawyer. Yeah, yeah. They're like, he's been gone long enough. He's probably dead. We'll just take his stuff. Sometimes I yeah. think I can still hear his voice. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie's like, well, he would want us to help people. Do you no, know him? No, I don't think that's right. Like, wishful thinking. He would not want that at all. Literally. <laughs> if anything, he would want to hinder someone. Like, who are you even trying to fool? Because Himself. Hurley knows. Like, Himself. Hurley knows that he wouldn't want this. Charlie knows he wouldn't want this. It's just, he's just saying that so that he feels better about doing it. 100%. Right. Well, and I mean, Hurley is also savvy enough about how all the people on the island work to know that maintaining the stash is part of how Sawyer maintains control. Like he, mm -hmm. he leverages the things that he has that people want from him. And if you take all that away, then Sawyer's sort of automatic power advantage in every negotiation goes out the window. And that <laughs> right. is not what Sawyer wants. Mm -hmm. Sawyer's like, what the hell, man? I had nudie magazines in there. Yeah, so Charlie <laughs> finds his just, like, shocking pornography stash, which is just, like, several magazines long. And uh, on the front, it says the 15th annual Girls of Fiji pictorial. 
Okay. Um, so not only is Fiji kind of important because that's where like the pilot turns them around once they went off course in the ver- in the pilot oh. for the crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also the 15th annual. That's and that's one of the numbers. This All right. is the only context in which I would ever imagine listening to Robin talk about porn. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, like, were all of those, like, in people's suitcases, no, or did he bring question. it himself? No, like, this is my question. There's Who's a lot suitcase? of them. Whose suitcase was this in? Like, I just wonder if, like, that time in season one when he was, like, going through everybody's stuff in the actual, like, in the actual plane with all the dead bodies, like, did he just collect these from a lot of different people? Is one guy just really weird? <laughs> right. What Was it one person? Was it six people? Yeah, I have... I have a lot of questions. And I also just like, I just have to say, there's something so quaint to me about the concept of porn magazines. It's like, oh, I yeah. know. That's so, that's so adorably 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's like a nudie magazine. And I'm like, did those still exist? Like, yeah. I know Playboy does, but Playboy actually does like hard hitting journalism now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, because, because here's like, there's evidence here too. Like, mm-hmm. even, like, well, even I know that when people want to do that, you go into, like, the Do Not Disturb browser or, like, the secret browser to go do oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go do it and then you go out of the secret browser. Like, here, it's like your mom can find these in your room, <laughs> you know? Well, that's why, like, you watch old movies and, I mean, or, like, I mean, not old movies, but I guess movies from, like, like the 70s and 80s with, like, you know, teen boys finding, like, a dirty magazine in the woods. And, and part of the plot is always, like, how do we hide it so our parents don't see it? You know, do you, like, stash it in the bathroom under, like, a boring stack of National Geographics or, like, you hide it in your, like, clubhouse? Like, I feel like all I know about porn magazines is from, like, 70s and 80s movies about boys. Exactly. Yeah. I, I I literally have no clue. And like yeah. the thing that that I thought of was like, oh, would Sawyer be like embarrassed to know that they found those? But I'm like, probably not. No, probably he's shameless. not. He's like, what? Do you want to borrow them? Yeah, he would. <laughs> he would somehow make it embarrassing for them. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh well, okay, sure, we'll come with you. But like, did did you guys find Echo? Because that's what you were trying to do. And Desmond's like, mm, let's just go. So they meet up with Said and Locke, who tell them about Echo and stay calm. Oh, and to stay calm. Desmond has a vision and goes running. Everyone follows. Desmond runs into the water and rescues Claire, who is drowning. He gives her mouth to mouth and she breathes again. So they go and see Locke and Saeed and they tell them about Echo. And my first question, of course, being Mm -hmm. me, is where are Nikki and Paolo? Because they were with you before. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I forgot about them. I didn't watch the episode before this. I forgot. That was a Nikki and Paolo joint. That's a wonderful blast in the past. (laughs) the, The group was Desmond... Saeed and Locke, and then also Nikki and Paolo. So I'm like, where did they go? And when you're watching it, you're like, who the hell are Nikki and Paolo? <laughs> Locke's like, oh, they. well, yeah, he was killed by the island. And Locke also says that Charlie knows what he means. So I guess, sure, I, mean, I guess Charlie. Charlie does, though. Like, if yeah. someone said to you the island killed him, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense, because everything here is insane. And it was the monster, for sure. Mm-hmm. I have to say, last, uh, last episode, I was a little upset over what they decided to do with Echo here. Um, Not only was his death very um, just like sudden, and that was due to the fact that Adewale asked to leave and he had to leave really suddenly as well. And I do have to say, if you guys haven't heard our episode about the cost of living um, a couple episodes ago when Echo's death happened, um, I was straight up ready to like dismiss it as being just like unfortunate writing and that's just how it had to be. But Aaron, who is our guest that episode, she just like, she made it so meaningful 
And it was amazing. And so I recommend you guys go and listen to that if you haven't yet. But Echo's body was just buried, not on Boone Hill with everybody else's body, including Anna Lucia and Libby's, but just kind of like in the jungle because Locke was like, people don't need this. You know, I'm just like, but would Echo want to be buried on Boone Hill? Or like, I just feel like his death doesn't deserve to be like swept under the rug because it's a bummer. You know, like that. It, so I was upset about that last time. And um, he's like, hey, uh, people are going to look to you to see like how to feel. And if you guys can just be like chill about it, that'd be great. And I'm like, I really hate that we're just like letting Echo just like peter off like that. I feel like, like, are we going to tell them about it? Because I'm just wondering if Sun, people like Sun are like, hmm, weird, never saw Echo again. It does feel like it's like at some point somebody's going to ask, Hey, we haven't seen that guy in a while. Yeah. And then like it just it, it for me it's like, you know, like somebody's going to ask and then it will come out that some of you knew about this and didn't say anything and then that will become the thing, you know. Mm. Yeah. That's just like but like that's also I feel like that about so many television shows where I'm just like not disclosing the thing that you know immediately is going to come back and bite you later and then no one ever does it. So, right. <laughs> that's just television. So, so they're like, yeah, like Jack's not here. So everyone's like really weird. So like, let's be chill about it, I guess. And he's like, everyone looks to Charlie and Hurley to figure out how to react. And I'm like, does he really think that they're that influential? Cause that's kind of sweet. <laughs> I would say Hurley, I would say, I would agree with that in, in the context of Hurley. I think that, yeah. I think that Hurley already by this point in the show has reached a position as kind of a like sort of moral compass and, and a person who's sort of neutral when a lot of the like fights and drama and, and kind of chaos starts, mm-hmm. like that he's pretty emotionally steady and, and reliable. And so I would say like, like people looking to Hurley to sort of gauge how they feel about something that makes sense to me. Charlie, especially at this point in the storyline, when Charlie is like so chaotic, yeah. I'm like, I, that feels overly generous to, <laughs> to Charlie, mm-hmm. but fair towards uh, Hurley. I would say. Right. So Desmond has a vision and Hurley notices because Hurley is already like really sus of Desmond being a soothsayer. (laughs) (laughs) So he just like runs like a mile away and into the water to save Claire. Um, There was a lost on location for this episode. And basically they were saying that half of the swimming was Ian with flippers and then half of it was a stunt double. (laughs) So it certainly wasn't just Ian (laughs) out there. Saving Claire. And Emily also said that it was really fun because it was really different from what she usually gets to do. So just um, just a great scene all around for, for the actors here. Yeah. And I like that you... I like the way it's 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 filmed in that like like you don't figure out what's going to happen until it happens. Like he mm-hmm. just like like something clicks in Desmond's brain and he just bounces and everyone is like what is he doing? And like <laughs> and you the viewer don't know either and he just like jumps into the water and and the way that like they make you wait for a few beats before you see that there's somebody else out there and figure it out like before you sort of even put together like okay he like why is it that he knows things are about to happen before they happen Mm -hmm. um but just like the way it kind of the cinematography takes you along on that journey where you're asking the same questions everyone else around him is asking Mm -hmm. i think they do that really nicely throughout this whole episode like we are as confused as hurley is right and i also really love this moment that's like kind of similar to that is like when sun walks up with aaron yeah and charlie's like hey, what's up? And son's like, oh, Claire went for a walk. And Charlie doesn't even let her finish his sentence because he's already gone. And I always, I thought that moment was like kind of really sweet, you know, that he's like the, like being 
polite in this conversation is not important to me. I'm walking away or I'm like running away to save Claire, which I thought was really great. So Desmond brings Claire over. He gives her mouth to mouth, which I assume he like learned in the military or something, or maybe it's something that he wanted to know because of his sailing race or something like that. I don't know. But it also makes sense just to be like kind of general knowledge for a lot of people. I'm Yeah, I'm sure that they teach you that in the military. Yeah. So she's alive and Charlie just keeps trying to like crowd him and he like pushes Charlie away because he's not being helpful. And there are, I feel like there are several scenes in which this happens to Charlie in which it's like, Charlie, please just like take several steps back. It's, I know you want to be here, but just go away for right now. He also, I I think this is the first time it pops up, but it happens a, a couple other times in this episode. And I think it also happens in the the one before with the lightning rod where it's like, I think what rubs me the wrong way about Charlie's energy in this, in this stuff between Desmond and Claire is that it's like, it's like Charlie assumes there must be something romantic and sexual in it. Like, like there's a sort of instinctive jealousy thing of like another man around Claire that like, and I don't know if that's deliberate or if it's just like, that was just like my vibe, but that just like really that kind of graded on me a little bit where it's like, like Charlie's desire to kind of like assert himself as like, no, I'm the man in Claire's life. Like, why are you doing things to Claire for Claire with Claire that like, I don't know about, Mm -hmm. like it just felt, I don't know. There was like weird jealousy energy around that, that I, that just sort of like bugged me a little bit. And I'm not sure if it like bugs me about Charlie as a person or if it was like something that wasn't intended to be in the writing and I just like projected it or what, but like, I just like, don't love it. I think that it definitely was deliberate because he did the exact same thing with Locke in season two. And he compl- he changes his vibe in season three to be more tolerable. And yet he's doing it again because he's like, okay, you're right. I shouldn't be thinking that you're dating Locke. You're totally right. And then he's like, but Desmond's slightly younger and mm. he has flowing hair. So now I must also <laughs> be worried about this. So I think that that's deliberate. Like the jealousy is definitely deliberate. What I don't know if it is deliberate is like the like romantic stuff going in with it you know like it definitely comes off like that like all season two I'm like why do you think Claire is dating Locke Locke doesn't have any like interest in Claire he's literally like basically a father figure to her I don't know what's going on with this I think that that Charlie like in the writing is supposed to be jealous just that they're there around her Mm -hmm. but it definitely does come off as like romantic jealousy which I think is weird which is which is very weird and I and I and I definitely get like like if you had to pick like sure I guess it makes more sense with Desmond and Locke and they don't know about Penny yet they don't know his backstory right. yet but it does add a layer to it that makes it feel like they just it makes you it makes you less sympathetic to Charlie that it makes it feel like it's all about this kind of like toxic dude possessiveness instead of what what feels like would make a lot more sense which is just like genuine weirdness and confusion around like like keeping it really focused on the like but how did you know like Mm -hmm. what's the secret you're obviously keeping from the rest of us that's shady and we have questions about that and that's totally valid like that's a completely completely legitimate reason for them to find Desmond incredibly shady looking at it from their perspective right now it's just that it that it feels so stalker boyfriendy just yeah. in the way that he interacts with other men around Claire that I'm always just like, oh, honey, no. Yeah. So like Hurley knows, like already kind of has his suspicions that Desmond can like see the future. And now 
Charlie also has reason to believe that as well. There's been a couple times in which Desmond, like he says before, is he tries to like save his life. On Lostpedia, they mentioned a, a little bit of a blooper continuity error thing here. And it just said, just after Desmond resuscitates Claire, when Charlie is asking how he knew she was drowning, there's an editing mistake with Hurley's position behind Charlie. Hurley starts to walk up to Charlie and then he's back where he started and then it cuts to him standing behind Charlie again. I straight up didn't notice, but apparently that happens, so oops. I didn't not notice either. You know what? If I don't notice, then I, I'll give it a pass, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly it wasn't that bad. Uh, like recently I've been rewatching Gilmore Girls with Sam and Emily, my roommates who haven't seen it before. And I was like, I think this is the scene in which the coffee cup color changes. Well, and like, also once you notice that they never eat food or drink coffee, right. you can never unsee it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like I was like, how much can the script supervisor mess up in which the coffee cups change from blue to red like I just don't know like was it a different day like was it I just don't know what happened here (laughs) so like at least I didn't notice and so I'll give it a pass here (laughs) so later Desmond sits and reminisces Claire approaches and thanks him for saving her um Charlie is really curious about Desmond um so he just stares at his photo of him and Penny and Claire comes up and sees it, says that she's really pretty, and he says her name's Penelope. She says that it, she thinks it's weird because she goes swimming every single day, so I guess, like, today was just lucky because she got, I don't know, taken by the undertow. And, like, not only does Charlie have, like, those weird, jealous tendencies, but also, since she, like, almost died here, he's gonna be circling her like a hawk just to make sure she's safe. How are you feeling? Still a little shaken up. Yeah, I, mean, I, I go swimming almost every day, and the undertow just grabbed me. I mean, if, you know, if, if you hadn't... Claire? I thought you were only going to be five minutes. Aaron's starving. Yeah, um, sorry. Well, anyway, I, I just really wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for being there. My pleasure. So he's like, he shows up because I guess he's just like following her around, I guess, and is just like, um, Aaron's hungry, Claire. Mm-hmm. And Claire is like, oh, okay, sure, I'll be right there. Anyway, Desmond, thanks, I guess. And Charlie's like, harumph. <laughs> you were talking to a man, just reminding you that your primary obligation is to your baby. Like, this is the stuff that makes me crazy. There's only one man in your life, and it's not even me. It's Aaron, okay? He's a child, but he's important, did you know? It's like, yeah, she knows. She's his mom. She gets it. Give her five minutes to say thank you to the nice Scottish man who kept her from drowning. My Would you rather her not? Like, would you rather her just stay away from him and not thank him for saving her life? Because that would be weirder. I think that's what he would. I think he would rather have her be rude and blow him off and never talk to a man who is not Charlie. She's like, or no, Charlie's like, hey, it's okay if you're rude to him because you've already, like, caught your catch, right? You've already caught me, so who do you need to impress? No one else, right? Charlie's most unattractive quality is how he treats Claire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is weird because, like, that's supposed to be, like, one of their main ships like it's one of the the side ones compared to like the love triangles yeah but it's like one of the ones that most people don't really dispute you know because they don't have any other options like you know and it starts so early yeah yeah and like you can um you can sort of debate who kate's with you can debate who Juliet's with you can debate who jack's with you can debate who sawyer's with but charlie only has one love interest the entire time 
So it is clear. I've never met anybody who's tried to dispute Rose and Bernard. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like, I think as you age and as we change like our attitudes, like in terms of society, you start to see these little red flags that maybe you wouldn't have 10 mm-hmm. to 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like for me, like the way Charlie treats Claire and the way he is with Claire is extremely unattractive. Mm-hmm. Like it, I don't like it. Yeah. I think it's two things. It's both like the older we get, I think the more we notice those things. But I also think just sort of like culturally, the attraction of the sort of like punk asshole bad boy has also faded to some degree. Like I think about, you know, like, like I'm a 90s kid. And so like Ethan Hawke, you know, in reality bites, like all of these sort of like iconic late 90s, like grunge punk rock and roll shaggy haired you know, asshole boys were like, like that was like the era where like that was the peak love interest. And Charlie's very much kind of in that template yeah. where like he would have been like, you know, the, for a certain subset of the population they were trying to reach with the show, he would have been like the sexy dreamboat character. Like he would have been like the guy that the girls grafted onto. And I just think like kind of culturally, collectively, we've lost our taste for putting up with assholes just because they're charming. And Mm -hmm. also the older you get, the more you're like, you know, even in fiction, that's not attractive because that's the kind of stuff that like in real life, like men use that charm to get away with things like being really toxic and possessive. Exactly. And like, we know that Charlie's not like that, Mm -hmm. but that was one of the traits they gave him to make him seem romantic. And of course now you look at it and you're like, Oh no, I'm good. Thank you so much though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think it is a case of a character being failed by the writing more than like Charlie's a bad person. It's just sort of like in 2021, if they made the show again, they wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's funny because I think Charlie in himself is sort of like a departure from that stereotype. He started as that stereotype and they've shown so many layers of him that he's obviously different from that. And I think that's what Liam was supposed to be too. And then even in like Charlie's first episode, 107, we even get like Liam being that big badass drug addict guy who's like a rock star. And then at the end of the episode, we get like him in a sweater vest and his glasses, you know? he's just a dad. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of them like giving us these stereotypes and then immediately going against them. Yeah, I like that too. And I I think think this... I think this slice of Charlie's personality, which is the way that he's so possessive of Claire is one of the few places where it feels like, nope, actually you're behaving exactly like the sort of stereotyped version of you that was introduced in the beginning. And it doesn't match the way he's evolved out of it in his relationships with so many of the other characters and the sort of work he's done on himself. It's like, this is the one like, Ooh, not quite there yet. Right. So Hurley and Charlie want to figure out what's up with Desmond. Hurley thinks that he can see the future. They decide to get him drunk to get information out of him. So they're like, okay, well maybe Locke knows something about Desmond's visions, but then they decide not. And they're like, well, if Desmond could predict the future, then why would he be here stuck on this Island? And I mean, we know that, like this happened like just now and it happened like after he got here. So he couldn't have stopped himself Mm -hmm. there. Um, And they're like, okay, well let's figure out a plan. And Hurley's like, well, we can't figure out a plan against him because he's going to know what the plan is when we walk up. (laughs) That really made me laugh. And I'm like, sir, I don't know if you were, if you know exactly how telling the future works because it's not like Raven Baxter from that. So Raven was going around being like, I already know. Oh my God. So they're going to go get him drunk with McCutcheon, which of course means something to Desmond. And yeah. Okay. So did they have that super expensive whiskey on the plane? Once again, we just have things that I'm not sure would be on the plane. 
They could have been in the bunker though, right? But then if it was in the bunker, why didn't Desmond drink it? Why does he look so surprised? Oh, good point. It could have been in, like, maybe they pulled it. Oh, no. I was I was going to say maybe it was, like, in the first class, you know, right. like, section. But then, but uh, practically speaking, airlines always serve alcohol in small bottles. And it's usually plastic and not glass. Exactly. And so if somebody had it in their luggage, because it's a, well, I guess this was a pre 9-11 but you still couldn't take that much liquid no no it's post 9-11 yeah i was supposed to okay yeah so you couldn't so so you would have to have somebody would have had to have basically bought that at the duty free in the airport and brought it along with them in their luggage like no one packed that from home right and something like that yeah well charles widmore says that like just that swallow is more than desmond would make in a year Mm -hmm. so it's like i can't imagine just going to the store and like buying a mccutcheon for like i assume thousands and thousands of dollars i think also that charles widmore was probably hyperbolizing a little bit but it still is very expensive whiskey anyway i guess long story short i'm not really sure exactly where that whiskey came from. i love little like suspensions of disbelief like that though sometimes you just like have to let it go yeah like in like at the beginning of battlestar galactica they were like oh my god we have such a limited booze supply like they had like colonel ty measuring how much booze he had and then the the writers literally said we gave up because they need to be drinking all the time Mm -hmm. so they have an endless (laughs) supply of booze don't ask us why yeah (laughs) So Charlie offers Desmond the whiskey as a peace offering, but he says no. Um, Then he sees what kind it is and changes his mind. So he just like, just goes off. He's like, yep, let's do it. And and I I think it's funny that he doesn't even like try and savor it, knowing how expensive it is. He just chugs it. Oops. Which like, you're not supposed to do that to whiskey, right? No. (laughs) I don't think you can chug whiskey, bro. Like you must be really Scottish, I guess. He has a high tolerance. I suppose. Or he really, 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 really wanted to get drunk. I guess I just, like, I can't imagine, like, I mean, I guess I don't really drink alcohol at all anyway, but, like, God, that must taste, it tastes bad, right? Whiskey just tastes bad. To some people. Well, I I don't, I don't happen to like it, but I'm also not Scottish, and the Scottish love their scotch. I also think, to me, it's like, and we can get into this more when we get into the flashbacks and we see yeah. the first time the McCutcheon pops up. But I also think that drinking it sort of out of the bottle that sort of casually and disrespectfully is also a little bit of a middle finger. Like, I think it's sort of a deliberate, right. like, I'm, you know, I'm not being precious and reverent about this incredibly expensive scotch because, like, you know, like I'm, like... I'm going to sit here with my like half unbuttoned shirt sitting on the floor (laughs) and I'm going to just in my like sweaty unwashed hair and I'm going to just like knock back half of this bottle because you that's why like I think that has that kind of energy to it a little bit you know which makes sense in context. Yeah, and I love that because uh, the two other people who are here, neither of them know the context. Neither of right. them know that it's, like, a huge deal to you. So, like, he's really just doing it for himself, which I like. Yes. I like it. So, yeah, he feels like seeing that whiskey in particular is, like, a sign to to take it and because he wants to. And so he just goes off on it. Hurley, Charlie, and Desmond drunkenly sing songs around the fire. But when Charlie asks about his vision, Desmond still won't talk. Charlie calls him a coward and Desmond attacks him. Uh, can't blame Desmond in this one. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> I, I love that Hurley's just straight up going along with it because he's American. He doesn't know any of the lyrics and he's just like, ah, that's me. <laughs> it, it was, there was something I actually found so endearing about the idea that the English guy and the Scottish guy would know the same drinking songs. Like right. it just, I, I don't know what it, it was just like, it was just like this nice little sort of like moment of solidarity, you know, like this little like a thing from home that this other person who's a random stranger on the same random island also knows because they probably 
sang this song after rugby matches where he grew up too. It's like little things right. like that. It was such a nice little sort of silly connective moment. I was like, okay, this is really charming. It's very cute. They, uh, on the Lost on Location, they um, had like basically behind the scenes cameras on, on like for this scene. Um, and Dominic was talking to the camera as Jorge was doing twirls in the background to get himself <laughs> feeling drunk oh cute he's very cute um and so hurley basically points out that all their lyrics are really weird and desmond and charlie bond over being from the uk basically <laughs> and they've all started calling him desi i love that that was really cute <laughs> he doesn't even seem to care he's just like sure like, whatever yeah, that's close my enough name. why not so charlie changes the tone completely and asks how he knew she was drowning and he's like oh i just like I don't know. I just like heard her. I just heard her. And so wild. Hurley's like, we were really far away from the beach. Like, I just don't think that you could have done that. And he's like, I guess I have good hearing. I don't know. Charlie brings up the lightning rod thing. And Charlie calls him a coward for not telling him. I wouldn't call that cowardly behavior. I think Desmond totally is a coward. Um, We've talked about that previously. And we'll talk about it going forward. His whole journey is to not be a coward. Yeah. Like his main thing, like Jack's thing is not being able to let go of stuff and having to fix things. That's Jack's thing. Desmond's thing is being a coward and what he can do to retroactively fix his cowardly behavior. And so I think that what Charlie's calling him a coward for isn't cowardly, but coward is like a, what's the opposite of a buzzword for him? It's like a trigger. trigger. Yeah, exactly. So it totally makes sense to me. First of all, Charlie, sorry, you're using the word wrong. But second of all, it makes sense to me why Desmond attacks him. It had big Marty McFly being called a chicken energy. You know what I mean? I don't know why that popped into my head, but it's totally it. I don't either, but we're talking about time travel, so I'll allow it. Thank you. Um, on the Lost in Location, apparently Ian cracked his knee on Dom's knee when they were doing this, so he needed, like, a little ice pack. Oh, they got really and into he, that singing, I guess. Apparently, I guess. And uh, he was like, you wouldn't even want to know. You know, you can't handle the truth. You're like, oh, well, maybe he could. He's like, oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. Um, and then we move into, like, the big flashback. <gasps> Finally! So after Desmond turned the failsafe key, he had, like, a lucid flashback to 1996. He fell on the ground and got red, red paint everywhere. He's living with Penny, and he is so happy to see her. Red paint... I mean, really? Well, later he says, I don't even like red. And neither do I. <laughs> so, of course, we get the shot of his eye opening, which is classic Lost. And he mm-hmm. wakes up with red paint. And, of course, you're meant to think, oh, my God, he's bloody. What happened to him? He's covered in blood. The brand name on the paint is Future. So, oh, mm, okay. Just more like past future type uh, theming there. Penny shows up. She helps him. And he fell because he had a few drinks, I guess, which makes sense for him. Desmond calls it his flat. And Penny's like, well, we could call it our flat. That'd probably be good because I also live here now. Like I have a person who lives in this building. I don't know. She holds up three fingers and asks him to like show how many she has. I wish that she had held up four fingers. That would have been better because it's one of the numbers. Oh, okay. And so he kisses Penny because it's been for him three years since he's seen her. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. It's real, real soft. So Desmond gets ready for a job interview with Charles Widmore and he keeps getting weird reminders of the island. He's getting a lot of deja vu, basically. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it's 1.08 p.m. Oh, there you that's go. 
Penny ties his tie for him, and he says that he doesn't mind the head injury that he got as long as he can have her here, which is really nice. Kind of wholesome. I was like, I think she could probably afford a much better flat, and they talk about that later. I'm really excited to talk about that moment where she says that the reason why they're not, not living in her nice flat is because he was too proud to live there. Yep. Could I have not a be a lot me. of thoughts about that breakup. Yeah. Could not be me. I please pay for me to live somewhere nice. Please. Yeah. I will be a sugar baby. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for Penelope Widmore, my God. Yeah. She has so much money. And she's so pretty and wonderful. Exactly. So true. You really messed it up there, Des. Des, that you know what? You deserve to break up with her in that moment because mm-hmm. you did not deserve her. Yeah. Um, so she's like, hey, just so you know, like it's okay that you don't work for my dad because I don't really like him anyway. So like you just don't really have to worry about it. I don't like I know that Desmond's going there to ask for Penny's hand in marriage, but like I hate the idea that he has to get his approval before he can be with her mm-hmm. it's very and i think she hates that too yeah i have a lot of thoughts on this that i feel like that i want to circle back to when we get into the more thematic stuff right. like post recap but i feel like there's a lot to unpack in in the idea that at least for like for desmond 1.0 like for the sort of mm-hmm. like the, the original yes. way that these things happen that on some level it is more important to him to have the approval of men that he's a certain kind of Mm -hmm. man and that is so much more important to him than the approval of penny right exactly right like later when she's like well let's celebrate that you don't work for my dad because my dad sucks and the occasion is that i love you and i want to hang out with you and he just like doesn't get it and i hate that Mm -hmm. so he just really wants widmore's respect and yeah penny doesn't mind if her dad doesn't like him desmond hears the end of the world and gets confused because he's heard so much about the end of the world recently he hears the beeping come from the microwave and it sounds just like the beeping from the hatch um she was heating his coffee up for him he talks about deja vu And yeah, basically he's lived all of this before and he knows exactly what's going to happen at this interview. Um, But I don't think yet he's put together the fact that he's lived it all before um, until, until he sees Charlie. And that's the catalyst for trying to figure this out. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting because it's like, this is, this is our first kind of like quote unquote unreliable narrator yeah. flashback because it, with every other character, like if you're watching like a scene from Jack's past or from Sawyer's past or whatever, right? right? Like this is what happened. This is what happened. Like we are meant to understand from the narrative that this is like, like what their role in it is or like what we find out about it or how it might be different from how they've represented themselves. That's where the ambiguity comes in. But we always know like we are watching events unfold exactly as they unfolded and in this one like it's i think they're like the reason that penny doesn't hold up four fingers right away um and doesn't sort of trigger him right away is that at the beginning we think the way desmond thinks that he's like like that he's just back in his regular life like maybe the island was the dream and then it's the beeping and the and the numbers the and then when he gets to the office you know the polar bear and the package and and all those things um, sort of building up to this crescendo where it's like something's wrong, something's pinging something. And then when he sees, it's like a crescendo when he sees Charlie, then it's finally like, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be here. 
but it leaves you with that kind of like, it's sort of just like a vague feeling of being unsettled Mm -hmm. until Charlie shows up. Which is so fun because like usually when we're watching flashbacks and the numbers are so prevalent, no one notices except for us. And so we're like, oh, it's so cool. Like it's cool that Desmond notices, Mm -hmm. but like to be super clear for anyone who is like confused about this flashback, what is happening here is that Desmond is having a sort of like flashback in his own mind. Like this is an actual, like instead of just us seeing something that happened and calling it a flashback, he's having an actual physical flashback back to what um, happened in his life and all of the things that he's doing here a lot of them are the things that he did before but a lot of them like aren't actually like what actually happened so for example we get a flashback later to Charlie in basically the exact same scene and Desmond just walks by him you know he doesn't get like accosted by this crazy man Mm -hmm. he just continues on his life and that's actual real life so basically Desmond is is kind of inside his own head and sort of like having this vision from um from the island I think yeah and um yeah, he's basically just reliving parts of his life, but the things that he changes didn't actually happen, if that makes sense. It's yeah. like, a, it, it, it's an alternate universe flashback. It's yeah. like a what could have been sort of thing. Right, if mm-hmm. Desmond knew what was going on and knew, you know, we all wish that we could go back and know what we now know, and Desmond's kind of getting this opportunity and still does it wrong. And that's why it's so interesting that like later when he wakes up again, he goes, let me do it again, let me do it again, I won't mess up this time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, dude, you already got a second chance and you did it anyway. Like he's got, it's chance after chance after chance. Yeah. So Desmond gets to the office and he acts weird about a delivery man. Uh, It's a delivery for 815, which is a number and we know that. And Desmond knows that he's like, what? What do you, what do you mean? And the Desmond, and the delivery guy is like, it's a thing for 815. He's like, it, it, dude, it's none of your business, bro. Are you 815? <laughs> like, may I help you? <laughs> um, I think that's so funny that like that guy is probably like, I said 815. Mind your own business, bro. Don't worry about it. Who are you even? So Widmore offers Desmond a job in administration, but Desmond isn't actually there for an interview. (laughs) He asks Charles for Penny's hand in marriage. Widmore basically says that he's not good enough for Penny and never will be. The, I like that Widmore's like, okay, I guess I can get you a job. And Desmond's like, that's not why I'm here. Widmore's like, why did you waste my time then? Why was I asking you what your greatest weakness was then? (laughs) Like, what was, what was the point of it? What was the reason? So the artwork in the background is by Jack Bender, who like, to put his own paintings in which I think is really cool he did um like the mural in the hatch and everything he does a lot of like the artwork like the really lost specific artwork in the show so you can see like the polar bear uh it says namaste there's like a buddha and there's like a bunch of hills and um so it's very island and Desmond's like really interested in it I love that he uses his own art in the show I think that's so cool I love that and it's very similar to the painting that Thomas was painting when he was living with Claire in Raised by Another. And it's just because it's Jack Bender who painted it because he painted that one as well. But I kind of like, I have like this sort of headcanon that Charles bought it from Thomas, who who was the one Ooh. who painted it. Um, if you guys don't remember, Thomas is Claire's baby daddy. He's <laughs> Aaron's dad um, who just straight up left because he was like, Claire was like, I can't be a mom. And Thomas was like, well, what if we did this, Claire? And then she was like seven months pregnant and he was like, I can't be a dad. And she's like, um, hello? Well, you're the reason why I'm doing this, but go off, I guess. So it's like, I don't love that Charles Woodmore probably spent a lot of money and gave Thomas a lot of money for that painting because I don't Mm -hmm. think he deserves it. But that's like a secret headcanon that I have. I I like it. it. 
Yeah. So yeah, Desmond recognizes it as like from the island and it's not like a coincidence to, like maybe it's not a coincidence, basically. Who's to say? In the Lost on Location, you kind of get a shot of what this actually looked like when they were filming it. And Charles Woodmore's windows are entirely green screened. Like it's straight up just a green screen out his window. Oh, all right. That makes sense. Desmond talks about how he did set design for the Royal Shakespeare Company. I don't know why this is never brought up again, but dude, that's awesome. That's so cool. I know. I was like, I immediately have one million questions. Yeah. Like, they just never talk about it again. But I'm like, hello? That's incredibly prolific. That's so cool, dude. Why aren't you still doing that? <laughs> yeah, why Why isn't he still doing that? Well, I, I mean, I'm wondering, like, it, it seems like he's unemployed. How are you even paying your own rent? Is Penny paying all your rent? Like, oh, maybe. I don't know. So um, he says that he didn't finish university because he had to take care of his three brothers. And that's also weird because we also never really hear about them again. Yeah, I didn't know that he had brothers. It's just Penny. (laughs) That's like the only person in Desmond's like past other than Charles Widmore. It's like Penny and Charles and, you know, Donovan, who comes in this episode. His rando friend. (laughs) Never see him again. His three brothers he talks about, never see them again. So it's, yeah. Um, A lot of his backstory is kind of lost to the nether, I think. These things happen. And he's like, after my father, and then he kind of like trails off. I'm like, died? Left? Once again, we never really hear about him, so I don't know. I'm I'm guessing died. I'm guessing died as well. Um, He says that he doesn't have any military experience, and that's of course yet, because it's before he goes into the military. So this is all the way back in 1996. It's eight years since, like eight years until he like ends up on the island. Well, sorry, he ends up on the island in 2001, but now presently on the island, it's 2004. Okay. Um, so Charles tells him about the race around the world, which of course he is going to eventually do, and it takes him to the island. And I was like, okay, but if this was before the military, he was in the military for a couple of years. So this race around the world must be a yearly thing because he that this one he's talking about definitely isn't the one that Desmond was in. So it must be a thing that happens all the time. That was my assumption. Like, it's Mm -hmm. like an annual thing he sponsors. Yeah. So he gives him a a position in administration, and he's like, oh, I don't actually want a job. I want to marry your daughter. And I'm like, and you brought your resume for this? (laughs) Yeah, like, you really buried the lead here, huh? (laughs) Like, it's really, it's really nice (laughs) Charles Woodmore is like, hey, it's really nice of you to come here and ask me, but you suck, so... Like, no. Like, straight up no. He talks about the 60-year McCutcheon, and he talks about Anderson McCutcheon because he was an admiral in the Navy, and he basically just is constantly talking about, like, respecting people in the military, which is part of why Desmond then, I think, goes in there because he thinks that he can gain his respect by joining the military. Like, here's the thing. Be less obsessed with her dad and more obsessed with her. He talks about McCutcheon as if he's, like, a real guy, but apparently he's not. He's a fictional character. On Lostpedia, it said it's from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, the Admiral McCutcheon that Charles Widmore mentions to Desmond was a character from a remake film of the classic 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. Um, and also Adewale, who played Echo, played a character named Cabe Atux in a remake of the film. Oh. So I'm like, dude, why are you talking about this Admiral like he's a real guy? I mean, I guess you're not a real guy either. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, maybe it's real for you. He's real in, in the universe of the show. Sure. <laughs> so he talks about how he had lots of medals, but his pride and joy was like this whiskey. And you can't have any because you're not a great man. You're not worthy of my whiskey or my daughter. You know anything about whiskey? Uh, no, I'm afraid not, sir. This is a 60-year McCutcheon, named after Anderson McCutcheon, esteemed admiral from the Royal Navy. He retired. 
with more medals than any man before or since. Moved to the Highlands to see out his remaining years. Admiral McCutcheon was a great man, Hume. This was his crowning achievement. This swallow is worth more than you could make in a month. To share it with you would be a waste and a disgrace to the great man who made it. Because you, Hume, will never be a great man. It's so performative. He brings out two glasses and he only pours it into one. I'm like, mm -hmm. why are you bringing out two glasses? Like, it's just so performative. And it's just, um, yeah, straight up mean, actually. Like, he's just, he's very harsh and unnecessarily so. The emphasis and importance that men put on certain things blows my mind. Because... Mm -hmm. Like, being worthy of someone, first of all, I think is stupid as hell. But also, like, just, you're not worthy of drinking this alcohol. I'm like, it's fermented crap. Shut up. Yeah. You know? It's in a bottle. It's just, it's liquid. Shut it's, up. It's also, this is one of those things where, like, I mean, like, like maybe just because, like, like, I'm also, like, I'm I'm not much of a drinker and, and I have a well-documented aversion to most brown liquor unless it's, like, chocolate flavored so so this is just like i'm always going to be more of like a bailey's milkshake drinker than a whiskey drinker but but with things like whiskey and with wine the the culture of rich people around like money and expensive liquor is also just like it's like a really specific kind of asshole mindset yeah i'll mm -hmm. never understand you know it's like so weird like the kind of people who who like invest all of their money and time or or who view it as like a real status symbol that the you know like how long something is aged or whatever and like and like I'm sure if you have a really sensitive palate it makes it taste amazing that your wine is a million years old instead of merely half a million years old or like whatever <laughs> but like but there there's such a specific like like I think it 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 works really well in this scene as like a very effective shorthand for a particular kind of really terrible rich person. Yeah. And yeah. All of the superficial things that Charles Widmore thinks are more important than the real things that Penny thinks are more important. And the right. kind of tragic thing about this scene is that we see that this version of Desmond also thinks the Charles things are more important. Like it stings mm -hmm. more to have that scotch denied him than he is happy to be back with Penny. Like he's still like, it's all these sort of, it's like these trappings of like masculine power that are all like coded around money and, and politics and work and prestige. And that like at this moment in, in kind of in who he is in the flashback, it's so much more important to Desmond to be that kind of man, to be approved of by that kind of man mm -hmm. than it is to think about the kind of person he actually is. And so that's why, like, like we laughed about it, but like, I think the reason he brings his resume is because some part of him thinks the way this is going to go is he's going to go in there and he's going to like charm and impress Widmore with his credentials. And Widmore will be like, oh, you are an impressive man of whom I approve. And he'll be like, can <laughs> I marry your daughter? And Widmore will be like, yes, I've granted, like, like I will, you know, the clouds part and the sun shines down and this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I think that he wants to earn that, like 
with his resume, with these kind of masculine coded trappings of like dude power. And rather than just going in and being really heartfelt and being like, I love your daughter and she's really important to me and I make her happy and she makes me happy. It's like, it's like he can't, he, that can't be the approach because that's not a language that Charles Wigmore speaks and he will mm-hmm. not get the approval that he wants that way. Right. I like the idea that like he brought in the resume and is like, I, I he doesn't know yet. He doesn't yet know the cool things that I haven't told him. You know, he doesn't know that I worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company and mm-hmm. isn't that so cool? And And look at all these other things that I've done that I haven't had the opportunity to tell you yet. And, um, It's, like, interesting that he takes this opportunity instead of, like, trying to get to know Charles Widmore and, like, have an actual conversation with him about it. Like, I know Charles Widmore, and he probably knows Charles Widmore and knows that he's not amenable to those sort of things, you know? Like, he's not willing to listen to him about this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess, like, that's his only – he thinks it's his only – way of like conveying to Charles Widmore that he's more impressive than he than Charles Widmore thinks Mm -hmm. and even when he gives him every single thing that he thinks Widmore wants to hear and he gives him everything that he considers to be his greatest accomplishments and Widmore still doesn't think he's good enough is soul crushing Mm -hmm. like he he's never gonna be good enough yeah, like that that that's the message that he takes away from it. Well, right. he, he he makes like a list of things that Charles Woodmore talked about and is like, "Okay, what else can I do? I'll join the military." Yeah. You know? Yeah, like so much of Desmond's art like sort of gets and again like Desmond 1.0 like when these things happened for real in yes, real yes. time. Like so much of his journey is kicked off in this moment by like this is like one of the sort of thematic things that I was thinking about and we can we'll talk more about it later but like but the idea of like the juxtaposition of good men versus great men. Like mm-hmm. those are two qualitatively different things. And like mm-hmm. Penny cares that he's a good person. Penny thinks that he's that he's a good man and who he is on his own merits, like his crappy apartment and his you know, resume full of holes. Like she doesn't care. Like who he is as a person is enough for her. Mm-hmm. But greatness, like being a great man, like Mr. Whiskey McCutcheon or yeah. Charles Widmore or the men Charles Widmore respects. Like, like there's like a list of things that you have to do to be quote unquote great. And so there's a sort of like glorification of military service as part of it. Mm-hmm. And like having a lot of money is part of it and doing things that are sort of coded as like expensive taste in alcohol. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Have like having expensive tastes and expensive clothes and, and having like a high powered, corporate job and you know and doing things that are like physical like the race around the world like things that are like active or physically risky like all these sort of things that are basically like Charles Widmore being like here's here's what it takes to be a quote-unquote great man yeah and and so Desmond sets out to become that and I think the thing that's really lovely about when we get more into flashbacks like seeing him revisiting these moments a second time with the knowledge that he has gained since the island, it's like, this is the episode where we finally see the beginning of Desmond trying to figure out like how to be great and good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, how Cause, to accomplish cause, something. Cause it's not like you, if you are great, you're like to him, I think it's like, they're two different points on one scale, you know, like either, either you're good or you're great and great is better than good. But in reality, being good and being great is it's possible to do it simultaneously and it's better to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why when when Penny calls him a good man and 
Desmond's like, okay, but I'm not great. It's like, it's not impossible to be both. But he thinks he hasn't achieved anything. Yeah, because like Charles Widmore is a great man, but he's a terrible person. Oh my gosh, this is literally like in Philosopher's Stone. Harry, like, uh, Ollivander says like, Terrible but the, great. Terrible but great mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. about Voldemort. He mm-hmm. says like the 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 person who has like the other phoenix feather in his wand did great things. So I think you're destined to to great things. Of course, the things that he did were terrible, but they sure were great, right? Mm-hmm. Being great just means like large. You have powerful. Yeah. Powerful. You have powerful. But good <laughs> is a completely different word. Yeah, and and I feel like I think something that is really interesting and cool about the men of Lost that is sort of revelatory for a network show from the early aughts, if you sort of mm-hmm. compare it to what was on the air at the time, is is I do think that they actually do a really good job of pushing back against a lot of that sort of like toxic coded messaging about what it means to be a man, because the men who are presented to us as really taking seriously those sort of quote unquote you know, great man kinds of like that sort of masculine power mm-hmm. energy. They're always the villains. Yes. Yep. And, and it's, it's like men like Hurley, men like Desmond, or even like, like John, like Jack and Locke who like get, they get to cry. They get mm-hmm. to have like deep emotional connections. They have like, like real raw wounds in their backstory that they're allowed to like unpack. Like the men on this show feel so deeply. And when you have male characters like Charlie, like, you know, Jin sometimes, Sawyer sometimes, Jack sometimes, who who kind of laps into, you know, toxic behaviors or things that kind of come off that yeah. way. It's always presented very correctly as like, this is an issue that you need to work through. You know, like mm-hmm. Jin, you need to figure your shit out in order to be worthy of this woman. You know, like Sawyer. Right. He's unlikable when he's like that, for sure. Right. It, yeah. It, so it's not it's not glorified. It's like, this is a thing. This is a flaw in you as yes. a person that you need to work on. Is all of this male power bullshit. And the characters like Widmore, who will never do that work, are like the villains of the show. Mm-hmm. And and so so I think showing us like like you you could be great by just emulating everything that Charles Widmore did. But why would you want to? But then you wouldn't be a good person at all. Right, exactly. Yes. Why would you want to? You wouldn't be you wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't have love. You wouldn't have like all like you wouldn't be able to form real authentic friendships and relationships. You would just be rich and important like is that who you want to be and so i think the integration of like like what does it mean to be a great man like somebody who does something profound and significant with your time on this earth but also to be a good person like i think you know this episode is very much about desmond doing that but like so many of the characters of the show throughout all seven seasons also go on that same journey yeah Yeah, I agree. I think that even there's like some sort of journey like that in Ben's future, not necessarily for Mm -hmm. being like a good man, but like the the journey towards trying to be great enough. He's not worried about Mm -hmm. trying to be good, but he's trying to be great. Like he like you were saying, you know, yeah, you could be great, but why would you want to? You'd rather like it's better to be good. And Desmond doesn't understand that. Ben understands that it's better to be good, but doesn't care and would rather be great and is trying to be great. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like you see his journey ends up being sort of fruitless and and 
like that's exactly what the show is telling us mm -hmm. is that if Ben is searching for greatness and he fails not because he's not great or not worthy but because it doesn't matter he, and he because he forgot to be good yeah, yeah. so like he, right. he spends his afterlife or his life and his afterlife atoning for that and being like mm -hmm. I think I will be good now mm -hmm. yeah Right. It's more important to be good. And now I understand that mm -hmm. because when he you're right, like at the at the precipice, when it's like, am I great yet? It's like, sure, you're great, but you're not good. And therefore, you're not great. Right. And therefore, exactly. you're not happy. Yeah, it's an it's completely and always will be completely unattainable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So outside Desmond is just like majorly disappointed with what happened. I think that everything before this is something that we can take as like gospel of something that actually truly happened. And then, like I said before, this scene is what the catalyst is in which like everything is slightly different mm -hmm. from here on out. A 1996 pre drive shaft. Charlie is busking on the street, playing Wonderwall. Desmond accosts him because he remembers him and Charlie is freaked out. It starts to pour rain and everyone disperses. So he throws down the tie that Penny put on him and um, on Lostpedia, I, I can't say them all, but there's a lot of continuity errors in this scene. Why? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, uh, and a lot of like inaccuracies because this is shot in Hawaii and not London. They had like blue screens everywhere to try and like fit London in. And it's funny because on the Lost on Location, Jack Bender was like, I feel like this is more one of our more successful takes at making a different place. And then you go on the Lostpedia and they're like, here's a giant list of things they got wrong. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Um, like literally the list was so long that I was like, I don't have time. I don't have to go through these model. all. Oh, that's funny. To go through these all in this podcast. Um, but go check it out on the Lost Media page if you want. Um, so Charlie is busking and singing Wonderwall. And I definitely have thoughts on the choice of Wonderwall um, for this. This is the reason why Wonderwall is one of my favorite songs. Because of this scene. And also like in the book that I was reading recently, they actually talked about Wonderwall and they were saying that Wonderwall is so beautiful because it's like they made up this word because no one knew what a Wonderwall was. And like, so they made up this word to like mean like their love or whatever. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Someone gets it. Um, and I think I love that they chose Wonderwall for this because not only is Wonderwall a like classic song, it's like the first song you learn to play on the guitar. So most people know how to play Wonderwall, which is why Wonderwall is such a meme. Like when you see somebody say, hey, play Anywhere Wonderwall. Here, Wonderwall. And here's the thing is that when I ask for that, everyone thinks I'm kidding, but I'm never kidding. I actually <laughs> want you to play Wonderwall. And so, so that's why they chose Wonderwall, I think, is because they're like, oh, there's no meaning behind this. It's just Wonderwall because everyone knows how to play Wonderwall. Ha ha ha. And then it turns out that like the like lyrics are so like meaningful and it's great. And we'll talk about that in the spoiler section. But like, I was going to say, I, I have just spoiler thoughts about the lyrics. Yes, yes. So I was like, oh, maybe people recognize Charlie. And then I realized that he's not yet in drive shaft. Um, but he seems really well. You know, like, you know that he isn't in, like, into the drugs yet. And it took him a while to get into the drugs anyway, because Liam was the one who was on the drugs for such a long time. But I just, like, was so, it's so nice to see him so, like, healthy and, like, happy. Yeah. And, like, if you look at that scene from his perspective, because, of course, he doesn't know who, who Desmond is, like, he handles that interaction with the crazy person 
very well. Yes. <laughs> considering oh that's one of my notes later is like if this happened to me, I would be genuinely afraid. And I know that I'm like it's different because like I'm a woman and Charlie's a man, and you know, so he's like I can just handle this. Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. But like if this happened to me, I would like go home and cry. Like, I'd be, like are you stalking me? Like, do I need protection now? Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is 1996, and Driveshaft got their first record contract in 2000. So this is four years before Driveshaft um, took off. So Charlie's just playing because he wants to play. Exactly. And he's like learning how to play his guitar and everything. The sign in front of him says the musical stylings of Charlie Hieronymus Pace. Donations accepted. So I think until now we we knew his name was Charlie Pace, but we didn't know what his um, his middle name is. Hieronymus is a variation on Geronimo, which is like Geronimo Jackson. Of course, that's like a thing for Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and Geronimo, or wait. Hieronymus, I think, means sacred name, but it could also be a reference to the Dutch painter um, Hieronymus Bosch, who most famously painted, like, nightmarish depictions of hell. Oh, all right. That was what I assumed the reference was to. I was like, oh, Hieronymus Bosch, yeah. Me too. That's what I always thought it was, yeah. Um, Which I think is, it's interesting that they chose that that middle name. (laughs) It's also, if you think about, like, what we know about his upbringing and childhood, it's just like, like, this is a wild name for Charlie's parents to have picked as his middle name. Like, it's just like... Yeah, what's Liam's middle name? Jeez. Yeah. So Charlie finishes his song and people are giving him money and he tells a girl to leave her number if she wants and it's really cute. And Desmond's like, oh my God, I know you. And, you know, if this was after Drive Shaft, he would be like, I know, I play the bass on Drive Shaft. I know, I'm really famous. Um, But it isn't. So he's like, "Uh, okay. He's like, well, maybe I would remember you better if... I could get some help. He's talking about like Desmond. Hey, maybe I'll pretend to know you or whatever if you give me some money. Yeah, just like drop some coins in there. But because he said get some help, he also said get some help in the other timeline in the season two finale. So it's like, bam, that's the snap. That's the the revelation Mm -hmm. that he like gets this sort of like vision of Charlie in the other timeline. And he's like, oh my God, you're Charlie. And Charlie's like, yeah, there's a sign, bro. (laughs) Like, it says my name's Charlie. Like, congrats on your, like, reading comprehension, like I guess. World, but <laughs> here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and Charlie says, you know what, you guys? This is why we don't do drugs. And, like, oh, you poor boy. You poor boy. Because <laughs> who's the one who ends up being, like, the drug addict? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, heartbreaking. Because clearly he knew. And we already knew that because in 107 we see him, like, make the decision to start start being on drugs and it's a huge bad decision for him because he's miserable and so it's like hard to watch him say that knowing that he knew it was wrong and knew the bad things that it would do to him but he chose to do it anyway yeah it is it's definitely weird to watch him make sort of such a casual flippant joke about it about somebody else and it's one of the things like the the tone of this of this little scene is so wild because on the one hand, like the stakes are so high and your heart is breaking for Desmond. And yeah. also it's really the place where this sort of time collision stuff really starts to ramp up and his sort of desperation to like to be recognized back, like to have Charlie sort of validate for him that he's not going crazy and that the things yeah. that he remembered really happened. Like all of that is so heightened, but also the scene is so silly. Like, yes, like, it's, like yes. it's full of so many like wacky weird jokes and, and Charlie has all these sort of zippy one-liners and 
And if you look at it from his, from Charlie's perspective, it's just like the whole thing is just looks like it makes Desmond look totally bonkers. And so like, like all of the different sort of tonal things that are happening at the same time are like, I like it's, it's really well written, but it's also like, it's doing a million things at once. Yeah. And, and it's, it's cool also because like this part didn't actually happen, you know, like Desmond saw Charlie busting right. and then he just kept walking. Right. So really like either Desmond's mind or like the Island is just filling in what they think Charlie would say. And it's totally exactly what he would say. Yeah. Um, but it's also cool because like, he's like, okay, well it's going to rain. So like he knew it's going to rain and it's kind of like, he can see the future here too. But technically, it's his past. He's but just but remembering but it. when we see it like this, it's like he can see the future, even though it was his past. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, you know, like when we're when we're in the present, he can see the future, and that's actually seeing the future. Right. But because he's in the past, he can claim things that happen in the future because they already happened to him. Yeah. So it's cool because he can see the future in both timelines, but in different ways. But in totally different ways. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that he gets it right here with the rain, but wrong later when we get to the, the guy with the cricket bat. Um, and so it's like, it's also not a completely flawless system, even right. here inside these flashbacks. Right. And, you know, Desmond, like, struggles with them later, too, because they're constantly changing for him. Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out, like, what little butterfly effect thing is going to ruin the, like, vision that he has. And it's, it's also interesting because, like, ultimately, was Donovan, did he even go and hang out with Donovan at all that week? Really? Like, because the only reason he goes to, like, talk to Donovan is because he's having weird visions, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, in the actual timeline, was he, did he even hang out with Donovan those days? I don't know. He might not have because Donovan is in the pub on the wrong day and Donovan's not in the pub on the right day. So my assumption was that in the original timeline, Donovan is nowhere that storyline because if yeah. he was, then then the night that he remembers correctly and the night that he's with Donovan would have been the same night in the pub and they weren't. Yeah, right. He had to go to the pub two different times. Right. But he only went that one time after he dumped Penny in the actual timeline. Right, right. Yes, that's what I think happened. So this is the midpoint of the episode. And I think that before we move on, we're going to talk a little bit about Patreon. Brittany! Oh my god, what? Tell me about Patreon! Oh, okay. So Patreon is a service where you can donate monthly to your favorite creators. Tell me more! So like, if we're your favorite creators, which that would be super fun and cute and fresh, um, you can donate to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash tfictionado, starting at a dollar a month. What do I get for a dollar a month? Well, you actually get like a ton of stuff, but basically you get access to all of our podcasts at least a day early because Robin edits very quickly. I try. She, she does try. With a full-time job. Well, it's part-time. But it feels full-time. It feels like full-time, and I also have several side hustles. There you go. Including this. Yeah! And what if I want, what if I, I can pay more than a dollar? Then if you donate more, you get perks. So if you're at $5 or more a month, you get 10% off at Robin and I shop, which is shopylux.com. What do you sell? Um, I sell resin art and stickers and art. And what do I sell? Robin sells phantom embroideries. Do I have any lost designs? You, you sure do. Like who? Uh, you have Sawyer, you have Juliet. Who else do you have? Oh, Kate and Locke. <laughs> 
I have a penny design um, that was commissioned for my good friend Joanna, who loves Penny. It's her favorite character. Um, and I'm gonna I'm working on a Desmond design, and then I can put those two up together. So look for that. Um, but I also have several other fandoms and also customs. So if you want any fandom or any like celebrity or anything, feel free. I do quotes right now. So if you want like a lyric or a movie quote or something, I can do that too. I don't know, you guys. There's the the, the opportunities are endless. But Brittany, what if instead of paying 12 times a year, I want to just pay the one time? Is that possible? Yes, because Patreon has... <laughs> This is so stupid. <laughs> Patreon has it so that you pay annually instead of monthly. Are there any perks uh, for that? Like, why Why would I do that other than wanting to just pay once? I mean, I think there's a discount. I wouldn't know, but I think there is. There is. Robin says there is. There is. So if you wanted a $5 membership for a year, instead of paying $60 over 12 months, it's 10% off if you just pay annually. So you're only paying... $54 for um for all those months. So it's basically like you get a month off. Isn't that so cool? That is cool. Wow. wow. And Brittany, if I can't help you out on Patreon or ShopBelux.com, is there anything else I can do for you? Yeah, just like tell a friend about our podcast. You know, talk to us on social media. All those fun things. Oh, okay. Thanks for thanks for that. Hey, no problem. All right. Have we have we shilled enough? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Donovan, Desmond's professor friend, talks to a student about fate because, of course, Desmond runs in because he needs to talk to him. So this is a really short scene. His name's Donovan. I don't know. On Lostpedia, it was pointed out that the atrium that they're standing in is in an octagon uh, octagonal shape, which is like the Dharma symbol. Oh. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> You don't think it's notable? I have thoughts on Donovan when we get into more, like, thematic stuff. Like, yeah. But, like, I don't have anything to say about him, like, as a person right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, like, uh, presumably he's a professor of physics, and mm -hmm. um, he's talking about fate and unpredictability, and basically we're like, hey, let's talk about time travel. And he's like, ha, 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 okay. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this guy, like, ultimately, like you said, as a person, because he, like, never comes back, so. Yeah, we'll cover him more later. Yeah. So Desmond and Donovan hang out at the pub, and Donovan doesn't believe Desmond's stuff about seeing the future and a magic, magic island and a button and all. Desmond tries to prove it by knowing what's going to happen next, but it doesn't happen. You can't blame him for not believing it. It's a yeah. pretty fantastical story. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, okay, Desmond, I think that you just had a weird dream. <laughs> it's that scene is such a bummer just because it's like I mean because it's hard to watch Desmond be humiliated but also yeah. because because it because it worked with the rain thing and so you're feeling your and and we also know that there's like weird time stuff happening and so like you're so in Desmond's head at that moment when he's like wait a minute I know what's gonna happen you're like yes okay and then it's just like and then it's just like horribly embarrassingly wrong and you're just like oh my god like I just I feel for him so deeply in that moment because you realize how bonkers this would sound to any normal person that you're trying to explain this to but he's so sure and like we're mm -hmm. so sure with him because it just worked five minutes ago right like at least uh at least when you like put thought into it desmond didn't actually humiliate himself <laughs> because none of this ever actually happened yeah but still you know, so like at important. least there is it's hard to watch it's though. hard to watch and like if you don't really like put in the the thought and plus at this point in the episode you don't know that this didn't actually happen right exactly yeah so they hang out in the bar together it seems like desmond really trusts this guy so i trust the fact that they're pretty good friends or maybe he's just most the most qualified person that he could think of i guess 
Which is like hilarious because we literally never see this dude again. So it's like, why were you so important? And then you disappeared. Right. Like even after after 10 years of his life, because like this is 1996 and they're in like 2004. So like eight years of his life that he's done past this that he's that he can remember he he comes to this guy who we like never hear about again and there's hardly anything on his lostpedia page so he just must be either his good friend or his most qualified friend the writers were like this is convenient let's just bring in a guy you know what we need another physicist friend okay it is interesting going back to what you were sort of saying before about the like the references to his dad that don't go anywhere and the references to his brothers that don't go anywhere it like it does seem like the the one kind of and it's not even like writing fail but like a a choice that backfires periodically around the writing of Desmond is that like because his story is so laser focused Penny is Mm -hmm. the thing that he has to get back to like Penny is the like North Star like she Mm -hmm. is like the one thing then then by necessity he can't be a person who had a full and rich life outside of Penny or around Penny you Mm -hmm. know and so so his family his relationships his other friends like like none of those people can really matter or be important to him because that sort of pollutes or complicates the penny narrative in a way yeah. and and most of the time that's fine because the love story is so great that I don't mind that that's the sort of the sole focus of his story and I think yeah. it's kind of neat to have a male protagonist whose main story is a is his love story right but it does occasionally in moments like this where you're like i'd buy this more if you had a richer interior life (laughs) right yeah and it's weird because like there are some characters who if they mention like a second uncle that they have then like that's definitely gonna come back you know right and desmond is just like oh yeah you know so my dead dad my three brothers my whatever and you're just like we will never speak of them again but that's fine There's this there's this theory that I saw on Donovan's page because I was just searching for any information on Donovan because there's just so little. And so there was a theories thing on um, on his page on Lostpedia that Desmond told Donovan all these crazy things and then Donovan went to Penny about it after they broke up and told her what Desmond said about it. And that's why Penny started looking for the island, which is like really cool. Except Ooh. once you put, oh, interesting. Yeah, but like once you put thought into it, you realize that like none of this actually happened. Oh damn it! Like he didn't have this conversation oh. with Donovan. Actually, that's a good. Point. I was like, yeah, I was like, that's a very cool theory. Except it falls apart pretty much immediately. Unfortunately, yeah. you got Ugh. me excited for no reason. God damn it! And also, there is another reason for Penny to have learned about it. We just haven't like figured that out yet, uh, canonically. Right. Yeah. So Donovan basically thinks that he made up a world in which he's a great man because Widmore doesn't think he is. Right. Like later, Eloise says, "The only truly great thing that you will ever do is push this button." And of course, Desmond, who thinks that good and great are on the same scale, mm-hmm. is like so, and that like that doesn't great. even have anything to do with being a good person. So, so how did I even get there? You know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, Desmond says he just remembers pieces of it. And so likely, like we already knew, Hurley thinking that he would like already know their plan as they walked up, like wouldn't actually be true because he only gets pieces. That's hysterical, though. Yeah, it's a very Hurley response to it also. Yes. Are you bloody insane? Just tell me if it's possible. Which part? The island full of mysterious hatches or the computer which keeps the world from ending? No, look, forget you're my best mate, right? As a physicist. Is it possible that I've somehow managed to go back in time and I'm now living my life over again? (laughs) It's not funny, Donovan. 
Penny's father berates you for not being a great man, and voila, you've dreamed a future where you push a button to save the world. These things are not in my head, brother. I remember things. I also wanted to say that I know that this is, I guess, like a fabricated version of Donovan from Desmond's brain and the island, like working together to make this because this scene actually didn't happen. But um, this guy's a bad friend. Like, even if you don't believe Desmond, don't call him crazy. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Like, don't be like, haha, Desmond, good one, you freaking weirdo. Like, at least, at least, uh, like, Hear he came out. to you in earnest asking you a question. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like even worst case scenario, if he was having some kind of a mental thing, it's like, okay, well, at least, like, respond to that with some empathy or concern. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's not how British men show emotions. I don't know. I don't know any British men. I don't know to be any honest. men. <laughs> so, like, I say that as a joke, but I really don't. I know, like, two men. Yeah, like, even if you don't, like, even, though, even if you know men, like, there are men around, but you don't really know them. No. <laughs> you know... <laughs> None, so of really so none, of, none of us really know our fathers. None of us really know our fathers. That's the theme of my life. The theme, of, the theme of this show, for sure. I am outnumbered oh, here. Usually in, like, the Daddy Issues yeah. Club, I, like, I have the majority. Mm -hmm. But you guys both have really good dads. Score. I'm really happy for you. Dads. Thanks. Team Ken and Team Neil only. So true. <laughs> I have met both. Well, we're we're not Team Ken today because he roasted me really badly. He texted me oh. this morning to remind me that it was garbage pickup day. And I was like, and I assumed that he must have been, because they were in town last week, that he must have driven by my house and seen the fact that I missed last garbage day. And so there was like a million bags of trash in my driveway. And I was like, oh, haha, ha, you must have driven that past my house. And he's like, no, I just know you. <laughs> <laughs> You deserved that. Sorry. Oh, man. That's Sorry, fair. Sorry, Ken. I take it back, man. I take it back. I'm on Team Kim. <laughs> yeah. No, I love him, but he read me to Phil. That's... Okay, but to be fair, I think we both know the same thing would happen to me. Yeah. So I think you're valid, but I also think that roast was incredible. <laughs> yes, he, he got me good. So Make Your Own Kind of Music comes on, and of course, that's a really important song to Desmond. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, so is the night where the guy got hit, like the bartender got hit with the cricket bat, is that the reason why he listens to this song in the bunker? Or does he remember the night so well because his favorite song came on? You know, like I'm wondering if this is his favorite song, which is why he listens to it in the bunker. And so that's how he's able to remember this night so clearly is that he's like, oh, my favorite song. Oh, this happened. Oh, that happened. And hearing his favorite song was like the click to like, like the remember recall. it or something. Or I was like, or did what happened tonight make it a song that's important to him? I'm not really sure which came first in like the chicken and the egg sort of like situation here. But I mean, I, I yeah, I feel like if a song that I, that I liked, but maybe didn't know super well was playing while a guy who I presume is a, like a super famous cricketer, like a, like an athlete that he recognized comes into this bar and beats up the bartender. Every detail of that would be like burned and like, that'd be like a fucking wildest thing that had ever happened to you. Oh my like, God. It never even occurred to me that maybe he was like a cricket athlete. I just thought he was like some guy who owns a cricket bat who like came in and hit him. Oh, I assume that it was like some, I I, I mean, I, we could both be wrong. I don't know, but I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I assume that it was like, that it was, some like like that it, that it was a person who played cricket and that he yeah. like 
And that's why Desmond knew the guy's name that it's like Jimmy so-and-so or whatever. And, and that like, and that's why when he's describing it to, to Donovan, it's like, Oh, and then they came back from being two behind. And then this absolutely bonkers thing happened, you know? And like, yeah. which of course, if that happened to you, you would totally remember every single detail of that banana pants night at your local bar. I'm obsessed and, with this idea. Yeah. So, so that would, so to me, that would, that would lock the song into my brain, like for sure. And also just like, as a, I like the idea that he remembers the song in the bunker from his pre-bunker life because then it like even without us knowing it it's like a little tied to like Mm -hmm. I'm still reminding myself of the person that I was before all of this like I'm still giving myself little mental outlets where I'm not trapped in this bunker where I'm like connected to like little bits and pieces of my past Mm -hmm. you know so I had to know and I had to go onto the Jimmy Lennon Lostpedia page oh okay (laughs) and so we don't know exactly who he is it just says that he's a British man so I love the idea of him being like an actual famous cricket player who like comes in and and hits the bartender how does the bartender know this famous cricket player who knows but I also love the idea that Jimmy Lennon is just like some guy who everyone knows for a reputation for like (laughs) being violent (laughs) came in or something yeah or he's or he's like he's like the um because like penny makes a comment before about like oh like you smell like the pub in a way that like reminded me like like a you know a thing i have sort of divined through osmosis about people who live in london just from reading a lot of british murder mysteries is that like you know you have like your local pub that you go to you know like in, in your neighborhood right it's like a how i met your mother type thing yeah yeah or or like you know or like here where it's like everyone like everyone you talk to like everyone has what's like their coffee shop you know or whatever right um and so it's possible that jimmy lennon might just be like like fame a, a famous jerk from their neighborhood pub where right. it's like oh my god this guy you know and he's got like classic jimmy <laughs> years of beef with the bartender and they owe each other money or sleeping with each other's wives or whatever and that it's just like pure local pub drama which would also be really funny but then but also again then that would make it very memorable that would sort of lock yeah. the song in your brain and that gives him a piece of his old life to hold on to when he hears that song again which is nice either way you know rich right 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 like like he uses jimmy lennon's full name you know so like Mm -hmm. maybe there's multiple jimmy's like i don't know i have so many questions now i want all the jimmy lennon fanfic (laughs) donovan and he's (laughs) and he says that like donovan either knows who jimmy lennon is or like donovan's like who like (laughs) <laughs> who knows right but like he's like okay so there's a miracle soccer game and then like a fight but it turns out to be the wrong night and he looks really dumb so this soccer game like the footage is not from 1996 um it is the spanish cup and the one that's shown is actually footage um, of the spanish cup final in 1989 between fc barcelona and real madrid the goal scorer is the famous danish player michael laudrup so oh okay some soccer stuff for you, I guess. So then Donovan, I think, says no such thing as time travel. And you know what? We'll show you, Donovan. Yeah, Donovan. <laughs> and he completely changes his tune and is like, okay, well, you're crazy, Desmond. But you know what isn't crazy? Marrying Penny. You should do that. And I'm like, what a what a subject change, what my guy. What a segue. 
And um, he's like, I'm going to take your advice. So Desmond gets home to Penny and tells her that he didn't get the job. She wants to go out to dinner the next day to celebrate their love, which is really nice. I The 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 line where she he's like, what are we celebrating? And she's like, the occasion is that I love you. It's like so sweet. Mm-hmm. It's so cute. It's like, that's like one of my favorite moments in the episode. Penny, I feel like in this episode, I mean, just kind of in general as a person because she's an angel. But in this episode in particular, it's just like, I feel like she just... She does everything right. Like mm, everything yeah. that she says, it's like, yes, that's the exact right thing to say. Like all like, her points in the breakup, like when she's yelling at him about yes. it, I'm just like, yes, girl, yes. say it. Oh my God. Yeah. I That, which also kind of hit differently, you know, like, you know, rewatching it now after the first time I'd seen it. But, but yeah, but in that moment, it's like, again, she's sort of reminding him like, the great man stuff is not important. My dad is not important. Widmore Industries is not important. What's important is you and me in this room and our relationship and the simple things that keep us connected. And like, that is all that matters to me and trying to sort of keep him recentered on like reminding him that that should be all that matters to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and then she handles it so well, you know, she's never patronizing. She's never, you know, she, she doesn't like, you know, she doesn't encourage him to be self-pitying or blame or recriminate him or make her daddy issues his problem. Like she mm-hmm. doesn't, she's just like, okay, well, you know, to hell with that. Let's just recenter ourselves on our own lives then. Like we yeah. don't, we, neither of us need anything from this man. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and Desmond, And Desmond just can't, he's not ready to let it go yet. Mm -hmm. So when he walks in, Penny's like asleep, like leaned up against the wall. I don't know how she could sleep like that. I could never, but let's ask Brittany who's fallen asleep just about anywhere. (laughs) I fell asleep on a park bench once. Yeah. So yeah, it's possible. Okay. Um, She was reading a book. I don't know which one though. It's not clear. (laughs) Sorry. I forgot to mention that park bench was outside of the drop of doom at Universal Studios. Oh my God. Okay. Just feel like that, that gave it some. Thank you for adding that extra layer of color. Yeah. Yeah, I just needed some flavor. (laughs) So he tells her that he didn't get the job and she's like, basically she gleaned that from him, like going to the pub, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I guess he would have called her to say that he got it. He did actually offer him a job though like technically he did get a job he just didn't take it he didn't get the job of husband well and the job is insulting too like like right. he like Widmore also says like you know like I like I know it doesn't sound great it's like it's in administration it's like like I think he offered him like the lowest rung on the ladder like mm-hmm. crap job like the offer of that job in and of itself is like intended to be kind of emasculating and so right and it's clear that Winmore doesn't respect him and doesn't think he deserves a job right like you're anyway. like you're like the copy boy you know or or like the guy who gets our water like that it sort of it felt it felt to me like implicitly like on that level like right. you're doing a job where you're beneath everybody here mm-hmm. and and so which to Desmond functionally is the same as getting no job like that's a job like his pride won't allow him to say yes to a job offer that in Right, like cowardly and prideful. How you feel about that, Desmond? And yet, and yet, he's like one of the most interesting characters on the show because he grows because he has those flaws because he has an arc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think because he's painfully aware of those flaws, Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. makes him very compelling. Yeah. Yeah. So he says that her dad was nice and I think she knows that he's lying and they're going to celebrate not having to work for her dad. And this sort of feels like a parallel to Sun and Jin because Jin also had to work like for Sun's dad. And, Mm. you know, it probably would have been better 
not necessarily for, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why he did start working for Sun's dad, but like ultimately for his like mental health and like physical health probably would have been better if he hadn't. And that would have been a cause for celebration if Jin wasn't working for Sun's dad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're going to go take, go get lobsters on the pier and they're going to celebrate because she loves him. And he's like, okay, why? And like, of course it's important. Like get those words of affirmation guy. Like go ahead, get them. Like, you know, you can ask why, but the reason, but he's not asking why in like a romantic type way. You know, he's asking why because he needs to, he's very low self-esteem because he has low self-esteem right now, which is, mm-hmm. which is a reason to ask why. And that's also fine. It's just when she gives him the reason he doesn't like it. <laughs> Didn't get the job. Nope. What did my father say? Your father was lovely. We just both agreed that I wasn't exactly qualified. Well, I say we celebrate. I say we celebrate that fate has spared you a miserable existence under the employ of Widmore Industries. Let me take you out tomorrow. Let's go for lobsters on the pier. My treat. I don't think my failure to impress your father is any occasion to celebrate. Well, the occasion is I love you. Why? Why do you love me? Because you're a good man. In my experience, they're pretty hard to come by. Yeah, that's the hard part to watch is it's like, like you understand why he needs to hear somebody affirm and validate him right now it's Mm -hmm. just the thing that's painful about it is that it's like once again that she's reminding him like these are the things about you that i value like this Mm -hmm. is this is the desmond that i love that i want to be with and and it's just like and he's still like like widmer's still in his head like he still can't let go of that Mm -hmm. like toxic dude messaging and he wants to be told that he's great or that he's going to do something extraordinary and and she's like you're kind and you're good and you're loving and you're like like all of the things that again like like for a real human woman in a relationship Mm -hmm. it's just like women do not want charles widmores i know i'm a lesbian who knows nothing about men but that i know is true like i I like (laughs) i would so much rather be with a good man than a great man yeah Especially, especially the juxtaposition of these two men, of the two men in Penny's yeah. life and, and the intentional choice that she has made to pull away from her dad. Like that she's not mm-hmm. like, like she's very clear sighted by this, you know, in this episode about exactly who he is mm-hmm. and how he treats people and what he's like. And, and I think, you know, she chose somebody like Desmond, you know, she chose a down on his luck, former RSC set painter, you know, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's had a complicated life and never finished college and whatever, you know, because he had, because, I think because he's not from her world, you know, because yeah. he's not like, like, I mean, how many men do you imagine trying to climb the Widmore social ladder have tried to use Penny to get mm-hmm. there you know like how right. many sharks in suits have hit on her at company events over the years and she intentionally picked somebody who had nothing to do with any of that at all mm-hmm. and i think that that is I, it's it's really sad that this desmond at this point and where he is in his journey can't see that what gives him value to her as a person is that he doesn't have any of those things in common like she wouldn't love him if he was charles woodmore jr you know, mm-hmm. and he just can't see that yet. 
Right. And so she says he's a good man and that it's really hard to find a good man. And he's like, okay, but like, I'm not great. And she's like, like, once again, it's like everybody, he just keeps thinking that it's like a one or the other thing. Uh And it's not. So, yay, here we go. Uh, Desmond goes to buy a ring the next day. Um, Eloise gives him an option and he takes it. She immediately changes her tone. She tells him that he was never meant to buy it. And he's like, what? What do you mean, queen? <laughs> so we get Eloise Hawking. Um, I don't think we know her name right now, but for the sake of brevity, let's call her by her actual name. Mm-hmm. name. There are many characters named after famous people, like philosophers and, and such. Um, Aldo, last episode, was reading Stephen Hawking's book. And Stephen Hawking is who Eloise is, um, is named after. Which is exciting to me because I, and we'll talk about this more in the... Claire talks about time travel section, but my whole sort of like scientific basis for how I created the way that time travel works in the universe of the rewind files is based on Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's so, so cool. cool. I didn't know that. So which just like I and I I didn't remember um, until I was like I was reading the episode transcripts. I did not clock that that was her last name. Like I mm-hmm. just was like, oh, that's the jewelry store lady. And then the later we find out she's Eloise. So I was like, oh my God, Stephen Hawking. So I was delighted about that. <laughs> but yeah, but I love this scene. This scene is like, like this is- Bonkers. This is where, this is the first moment. Like the reason that it made me like scream at my television is because when she tells him like, no, 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 you don't do A, you do B. And he's like, I'm sorry, who's the what? Like, <laughs> like it's on the one hand, it's banana pants insane because it's just like, hi, I'm a stranger played by a recognizable character actress. So you know I'm going to do something, but you don't know what. Right. But also like, like, like part of it is the sort of like, like the visceral relief that somebody is in the same reality that he's in. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, she like somebody believes him. She gets that, on his level as soon as he's as she says that. Right. It's like you're you're correct that time weirdness is happening. You know, and and so he's he's thrown off by it because like you know like no one else notices the things that he's noticed. Charlie didn't remember him. You know all that. Like so so having somebody like look him in the eye and be like you're like like you're in the wrong timeline here like you're not in the right place is both terrifying because like imagine a real person saying that to you um but also like i would cry weirdly a relief because it's like okay thank god this is our first like objective confirmation that we are not watching a actual like literal flashback with mm-hmm. just like some weirdness is sprinkled in. It's like, this is where we find out like actually a totally different thing is happening here than right. what we expected was happening. Right. Like I think that like vision wise, like what is actually happening here is that Eloise wasn't the person who sold him the, who like almost sold him the engagement ring. Eloise is a vision like made by the island. She's a figment. To go in there. Yeah. She's straight up a figment because later when we meet Eloise, like the actual Eloise, I don't, think she ever like I think she recognizes Desmond but not from this you know like I think that she was just like a person that the island chose to be the person to tell him this in the vision I think and Brittany do you want to talk a little bit about that Star Trek thing that you wanted to talk about well I was thinking and like Claire correct me if I'm wrong Mm -hmm. but I was thinking that Eloise has like huge guardian of forever energy like not so much in like TOS, but you know, like recently in Disco. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. When they like, when they like bring Giorgio through, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Here is 
your memories in an alternate timeline. Here's your chance to redo it. Like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. two-parter in Disco is basically this episode of Lost. Yes. Which is like go back in time into basically what constitutes an alternate reality. See what happens if you do things differently. Yeah. And everyone and, around you is the same. And you exactly. have all the memories of the choices that you made the first time. And in that one, the it's a, I think I, oh, I really, I like this because because the because the loop ends the same way, which is like that that ultimately, like you you did some things differently, but the like the thing that was the trigger moment still happened. It just happened in a different way. So like Georgia still has to kill Michael, yep. and even though the whole thing was her trying to prevent that, but like circumstances made her have to do it anyway. And in this one, he still has to break up with Penny and leave. It's just that it happens in a different way for a slightly different set of reasons, mm-hmm. even though so many of the beats of how you get there are the same. This is, yeah, I love that. I love that. That's brilliant. You're so smart. Thank you. So he goes in looking for an engagement ring and Eloise is like, hey, uh, what's your price range? And Desmond basically is just like, um, yeah, we're going to go on like the lower side. Probably like... <laughs> We, we've we been doing our Stranger Things podcast and in uh, the 302 podcast, which I'm like trying to remember if it would be out yet or not by the time this one comes out. But um, uh, my favorite line of word was when Mike and his friends go to the mall to try and buy a present for Eleven, but his he says, Also, we're here to get a gift for you. We, just, we couldn't find anything that suited you and I only have like $3.50 so it's hard. Extremely funny. That's so I'm like, <laughs> Desmond comes in and she's like, how much money are you willing to spend? And he's like, I only have like $3.50. <laughs> like I know, I don't, like if you have anything for that. Show me your finest cubic zirconia. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so she offers him like a small one and he's like, okay, I'll take it. And she's like, um, no you won't. So I'm like, okay, so this is a vision. So did he originally just like not buy it and then just like break up with Penny because he didn't buy the ring, I think? Um, I was thinking about that same question. And what I think happened is I think that in the Desmond 1.0 timeline, I I think it is the one-two punch of both. I can't afford a ring Mm -hmm. that I really like. And, but, so I'm going to just, I guess, think about it or deal with this later. Sort of that, like, kind of, you know, scratching at the back of his mind. And then the moment on the pier when he doesn't have five bucks to pay for the photo. Right. And then it's like these two, these two moments sort of side by side that remind him not just that he's broke, but that he's financially dependent on a woman. And that's a whole sort of, you know, toxic masculinity kettle of fish and that that is where he basically is like okay again like pride and cowardice you know like his his two his Jane Austen novel I guess um you know his <laughs> his two things kind of combine where he basically is like I can't be in this relationship anymore and I'm gonna spin the whole story about why I'm ending it but the reality is basically like shame around not being good enough for this woman because like, you know, the, the impulse that propelled him to the jewelry store to go look for a ring for Penny is sort of deflated by the realization that he can't buy her a ring of like what he thinks that she deserves. Mm-hmm. And, and then the thing with the photo is like what seals the deal. That's right. my theory. I, I, I agree. I think you're right. Well, I also think that like when he goes back and all of this happens again, it gives him a purpose to his choices Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden, like, and what made me think of this is when he brought up Giorgio and it was like the whole point of her going back was to understand what love is and like understand that like she can use love for good rather than evil. 
And like with Desmond, it's like, okay, it, why am I running from things? Is there a purpose to it? And the answer was, yes, Desmond, there is a purpose to why you're afraid of things. And it's because you have to go somewhere else and do something bigger. Mm-hmm. But I think in this, I, I think like tying back to what you're saying about Giorgio, I think what's interesting, one of the interesting moments in this scene is that like that for a minute, like before he, before um, Eloise basically, you know, shuts us all down, he does decide to go for it. He's like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. buy, I'm going to buy the mm-hmm. ring. And, and so what's different about this Desmond, like, like, what is the thing where she, she's like, no, wait a minute, that you're not like, that's, I don't have that in my script, you know, um, we did not mm-hmm. rehearse that scene. And I think, I think that it is like, like, like with Giorgio coming back into your own past with the accumulation of the things that you have learned and this new person that you have become. Like, I, I think like that's our first moment where it's like the connection with Charlie and, and maybe a little bit, even what Donovan was saying about like, don't waste time, you know, worrying about other stuff, like focus on the great thing that you really have. It's like, it's like for a minute, like those things kind of sink in and whether it's about Donovan and Penny in the real life or whether it's about, you know, him sort of re-experiencing this moment as a slightly different self. Mm-hmm. But something in him is like, yeah, no, you know what? I am ready. I wasn't like, I, I you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to, you know, screw around. And, and that he's then prevented from following that through because of all of this sort of, you know, all the other circumstances is really tragic. But it's like, but in that moment, like, he at least thinks that he is more ready to marry Penny than he was the first time. And that's also mm-hmm. interesting. Exactly. Because he he himself, having been through that experience, has changed. He's mm-hmm. gained courage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the idea of it being like a script and Eloise being like, um, dude, like, what's with the improv? Like, where yeah. are you going? Don't yes and me. Yeah. And Desmond's like, exactly. Desmond's like, where's my yes and, bro? Like, come on. <laughs> so Desmond, like, wanted to change his fate, but he just straight up wasn't meant to because it's his fate. Um, She's like, no, you don't buy the ring and you leave. Like, that's what happens. And she seems to know his whole life story. She's like, we have to do the stuff that we're supposed to do or we die. And that's just what happens. Then we move on to the next scene. But Eloise has a pin, apparently, it said on Lostpedia, with the oral boros which yeah. is a symbol known in alchemy Ooh, so that's pretty love cool. that it's the, the snake eating its own tail and it's yeah. sort of like endless loop kind of sometimes a circle sometimes an infinity symbol but yeah it's a mm-hmm. um it's it's I, I was like i would wear that pin yeah <laughs> so eloise tells desmond what his entire future is supposed to look like desmond argues for his free will um a man dies behind them and eloise knew it was going to happen but she didn't intervene she tells desmond that no matter what you do fate is fate and if someone's meant to go that they'll go um desmond says that he's going to prove her wrong and he takes the ring anyway um so we can hear like basically we come back from commercial and we start hearing like these bells ringing and she has so many clocks right because time is this whole is this Mm -hmm. whole theme of course so she has so many clocks in the room and i think it goes off four times so i think that means it's four o'clock so that's another thing i think and so he's like uh what and basically she's like do i have to explain everything to you bro like yeah. Man, I don't got this kind of time. So um, she, they go and buy roasted chestnuts. It never occurred to me that this was like, like, this must be some sort of like English thing because like, I cannot believe that this is a stand that exists. Outside of I, Christmas. I'll have to ask Alice because I didn't, I, I think of roasted chestnuts as like a completely fictitious thing only from Christmas carols. Literally, literally. Like I've never, I was just, yeah, I was just deeply surprised Whenever to see Whenever they're like chestnuts, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, I'm like, 
That's a novel concept. Never heard of it, but okay. Yeah. What does cooking a nut even really do? Like, I don't know. Does it make it softer? Yeah, yeah they're squishy. Like, I don't. Okay. Ew. I've talked to people who have had chestnuts before, and they're like, it's like Turkish delight. It's like one of those things where it's like, it's made to sound good in like the literature surrounding right, it. And right. then you eat it and you're like, oh, this is barf. <laughs> Oh, okay, that. that's okay. good to know, I guess. No, this is part. <laughs> so, so they see the man with the red shoes, and basically, Eloise is like, "Let's remember that guy." And Desmond's like, "Hey, um, I'm concussed. This is a concussed vision, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, basically." And then he's like, "So there was no island." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no you no, lost no, it. You, you had it, and yeah. then you lost yeah. it." <laughs> no, there is an island. Um, Wrong lesson, bud. On the Lost on Location, there was a small interview with Damon who called Eloise a temporal policeman who makes sure everyone who's supposed to get to the island does. That's a Star Trek thing too, isn't it, Brittany? Aren't there like the temporal police? Yeah, Captain Braxton and everyone uh, arrested Janeway like multiple times because there's nothing she likes more than breaking the temporal prime directive. Time cops, yes. Time cops, yeah. There you go then. So it makes total sense. Desmond's like, listen, I'm gonna marry her anyway. And uh, Eloise is like, no, you're not because you can't change your fate. Um, I'm gonna do anyway. He's like, I'm Scottish. Of course I can change my fate. Have you seen Brave? Disney said I could. If you had the chance to change your fate, would you? And Desmond's like, yes, I would. But then he doesn't. So then there's a giant crash behind them and the red shoe man just straight up gets crushed. And it's clear that Eloise knew it was going to happen. But either way, like she she explains, he's going to die in some other way tomorrow then, you know, because if Mm -hmm. it's your time, then it's your time. And you can't fight it. You can't fight it. You knew that was going to happen, didn't you? Then why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you do anything? Because it wouldn't matter. Had I warned him about the scaffolding, tomorrow he'd be hit by a taxi. If I warned him about the taxi, he'd fall in the shower and break his neck. The universe, unfortunately, has a way of course correcting. That man was supposed to die. That was his path. This is a reference to The Wizard of Oz um, on Lostpedia. It said, when the man wearing red shoes gets killed, his legs are poking out of the wreckage, which is reminiscent of the ruby slippers and the crushed Wicked Witch of the East. Oh my God, duh. Oh, that's cute. I didn't even clock that. I love that. Um, so she talks about his path to go to the island and Desmond's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And <laughs> Eloise is like, all right, listen, you're being difficult. All I got to do is like, take the ring then. Like, you can't change it. It doesn't matter if you believe me right now, because eventually you're going to believe me because it's true. I find that hilarious though. She just gets so angry. She's yeah. like, whatever. Okay, <laughs> bye then. She's just like, I do not have time for this right now. Just like, do what I'm telling you to do. And he's like, but what if? No. And she's like, look, I'm a busy time witch. I have like stuff on my <laughs> calendar. So many other p- people to see. Like, I only allotted 30 seconds for you to give me my stupid ring back in my store and now here we are eating chestnuts and killing people <laughs> i'm already behind i know like, i'm already behind on my time card bro i am double booked i have a three o'clock and a three fifteen. come on desmond my boss is gonna be furious <laughs> i do i have i have tons and tons of thoughts for i think maybe for like when we've after we finish sure. the recap about like yes. the about this scene and about kind of her 
philosophy of how fate and and time and things like that work that are more in a sort of like kind of thematic way but I do I do think that sort of the important kind of takeaway here is that like she's very much a like like trying to convince him that there is only ever one way that things are meant to happen like that right. is very much her her philosophy that she is trying to instill in him mm-hmm. so she tells him like i said before that pushing the button is the only great thing that he will ever do um but he's like i don't care i want to buy the ring anyway and you know what i think it works out for him because i don't think he gave her any money i think he just ended up taking it i was gonna say i think he just takes the f- yeah for <laughs> So this is a really short scene. Desmond walks by a military poster and just like thinks about it. Um, this reminds me, at least oh. at, at the time listening it Don't do or it. reading it, Don't do it. <laughs> it reminds Don't do me it. of the re- most recent episode of Riverdale. No! <laughs> the most recent episode of Riverdale in which Archie just like stares at the military <laughs> and then just decides to do it. Joins the army because he sees a vision of some World War II soldiers in his graduation. Yeah. <laughs> I missed everything that you said because I just heard high pitched laugh shrieking. But that's also just just kind of how we talk about Riverdale. So that's fine. There's this amazing part where Archie gets into his head that he's going to join the military because he sees a picture of some old timey people from the military. (laughs) And then he starts manifesting them by like seeing them at graduation. And he's like, this is a sign. I must join the military. But they're always wearing World War II garb. Oh my god. Yeah. It was weird. But yeah, this is what it reminds me of. That show is so wild. <laughs> so the the poster says, honor, adventure, become a man that you can be proud of, which mm-hmm. is basically just buzzwords for Desmond at this time. Yeah. He does end up doing that. He joins he joins up, um, obviously. And he like feels his head, and I'm like, okay, so are you thinking about your concussion or are you thinking about like all the weird thoughts you're having on lostpedia it said the royal scots recruitment poster spelling uses the american english spelling honor a h-o-n-o-r instead of the british english h-o-n-o-u-r that would be used in the uk the soldier to be drank (laughs) the soldier pictured is carrying a u.s rifle not a british rifle and is wearing a u.s style helmet um as well as this the soldier is wearing a scottish flag on his shoulder when as a part of the british army he would be wearing a union jack these are all mistakes by the american props department I I learned literally, I think within the past month, that there are different flags for England and Scotland and Wales (laughs) that are separate from the Union Jack. Like, Alice gave me this whole tutorial. Wait, how did you not know this? Well, I didn't, I mean, like, you see a Union Jack, you're just like, everything on that island is umbrellaed under that flag. And I didn't know that it was made up of, like, like, one flag is like the red X and like mm-hmm. one is the blue T or whatever. And then you like, and then you put them all together. Right. It's like, okay, well you explain it to me now. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and Alice said essentially like nobody, nobody uses the like just England part of the flag anymore right. unless it's sort of code for like brexit people and turfs like it's very sort of like right. oh okay like white englanders only so like if you see somebody who is like you know has like the england only flag like hanging outside their house you're like oof oof gross <laughs> yeah you're bad um like like the confederate flag here i would assume sure but yeah so that was a i i did not i am almost 40 and i learned this year in my 40th year that those are all different flags (laughs) i am delighted that you discovered the existence of the whales flag which is just a dragon oh no this is that's there are two whales flags because like i knew that when i was like isn't the whales flag like a dope dragon and she was like that's one of their flags but they also have one that's just a boring x 
And I was oh. like, well, like, that blows for them. I see why they use the other one. Yeah, use the uh-huh. dragon. What the hell? 100%. Yeah. So Penny meets Desmond. They take their famous Marina photo together. And as Desmond looks at it, he decides to break up with Penny. He tells her that she deserves better. And she calls him a coward. She leaves and he throws the ring in the water. So Eloise was right. I just want to know why Henry and Cusick smiled like that Bro, in the picture. I have that in the thing. I feel bad for him because he constantly has to be staring at this photo of him smiling and weird. so friggin' weird. <laughs> and he's such a pretty man. And that's arguably his least pretty look. <laughs> yeah. It truly is. And it, and. It's and it's the meme of him from the whole show. And his like weird red polo shirt. Like what? Yeah. Although I did I have to say, I do like that the that the the fakeness of the backdrop is like retconned in as mm-hmm. like a real thing. Because when you see it, you're just like, is that a real like a, that Marina looks a little fakey behind like just like the picture just the picture has like weird energy the first time you see it where you're yeah. like something about this looks off and then when you're like oh okay it's because they're posing in front of like a pull down thingy hoodle and then she makes him take off his jacket which makes the polo shirt look nice and yes. he's just in the polo shirt and you're like oh okay like yeah they really faked us out with that one like yeah. I, think, I think in the original photo it's like Sonia Walger had to be like photo photoshopped in or something so like that looked weird too and then like like it's a marina scene and the marina that that we usually think of in in response to this show is like the sydney marina but desmond wasn't on oceanic 815 so why would he be in sydney and so like yeah there was just a whole thing where they had to like really retcon this for sure yeah so i like that they were like it's fake on purpose and i'm like i'll allow it no, like, sure. that's fine. Okay, I accept that logic. So Penny meets him for their dinner, and the guy's like, do you want to take a picture? And Desmond's like, no. Apparently there's a 15 on the side of the stand. So, I don't know, it said that on Lostpedia. And then the guy says that you should take the picture for the grandkids. And then Penny decides that she wants to because of the grandkids, I guess, I which I think so is really cute. cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you put this in in the notes of the doc as well, Claire, but in the song Obla D Obla Da by mm-hmm. the Beatles, um, Desmond goes to a marketplace and buys a ring for his love, who he later has children with. Yep. Which is like basically the story of this. And I wonder if if Damon like meant to kind of do that as a reference. I think like I, how do you not when you name a character Desmond? Well, it, that's it. The reason, part of the reason that it felt like that to me is like, like it, it because it doesn't rhyme, but it scans like Desmond and Molly Jones mm-hmm. and Desmond and Penny Hume. Like, like they're like rhythmically, they're the same. Like mm-hmm. they don't rhyme. Like if her name was Molly, you'd be like, all right, working too hard. And also, there's Ooh, obvious, yeah, yeah. there's obvious reasons why her name is Penelope in a whole separate kind of allegorical thing. Yes, but but just like rhythmically, I was like. Hmm, interesting. And yeah, so I don't know if it was on purpose, but it I like that song a lot. And I that was mm. just like a little detail that I found charming. So mm-hmm. So Desmond looks at the photo that they took, and that's when he kind of like changes his mind and realizes that he can't do this. Um on Lestpedia, it said that Desmond's photograph is different to the one used before and since. Here he's wearing a different shirt, orange in color compared to the bright red in the original, and the original covered his neck, while here it is bare. The background of the marina is different, as is Penny's position and her facial expression. Listen, you can't win them all. Sometimes you try and take you take a picture and then uh, you can't exactly recreate the picture and that's just how it be you know yeah we'll allow it so he decides he has to break up with penny and i guess he just like remembers how he felt at the time when he actually broke up with penny and remembers why he broke up with penny like now that he's like here i guess and um 
it just sucks that he like has to do it again because I assume that like breaking up with someone is like really bad for the person being broken up with but like also is like really painful and something really really hard to do for the person who's doing the breaking up with mm-hmm. too so it sucks that he has to do it twice especially, especially with someone that he's in love with yeah and and especially if like like with it the fact that this scene comes in the episode after Eloise has confirmed to him that the island is real and that like he has to get back there that he will get back there like that's your destiny it's mm-hmm. like so so in this scene like he's he's both Desmond's kind of simultaneously like you know he's he's reliving this experience with Penny with the full knowledge now like full conscious knowledge the three years that he spends miserable without her and mm-hmm. and thinking over all of his life choices and holding on to this one photo that's like the only you know like the the linkage between them and I think I think the thing that's really heartbreaking is that you can watch both like both Desmond's like you can you can see the lines running in parallel like you can see Mm -hmm. Desmond 1.0 having this moment of you know sort of primal patriarchal misogynist male shame around money and class and Charles Wigmore's voice still in his head and I don't even have five stupid bucks to buy a picture with my girlfriend like I can't be in a relationship with somebody who is like exists in this different world from me I'm gonna feel crappy every like every day there's gonna be something that makes me feel like less of a man being with this woman I have to just end it now like that you see that thread unfolding and also you see him look at this picture and think about like like the island and the people on it and the three years that he spent there and the button and and the fact that like you know if he he doesn't know what will happen to all of those people if he resists if he fights mm-hmm. it if he doesn't end up going back there and so he has to make the same choice again but he makes it in a different way with the slightly different motivation and and it's like and it's for the greater good this time it is like it's yeah. this is this is the beginning of the merging of the of the greatness and goodness but the thing that's really devastating is of course it is exactly the same to Penny. Like there, he can't mm-hmm. say anything to Penny that mitigates the pain he's causing her or the pain it costs him as somebody who has now realized what his life is like without Penny. Yeah. Um, and that he doesn't really know, you know, when he goes back to the island, if he will ever see her again. Like, like he's now mm-hmm. very conscious in a way that Desmond 1.0 was not. This really could be the last time he sees her. Yeah. Yeah. I really loved your point about how like he makes this decision after Eloise tells him that pushing that button is the only great thing that he'll ever do. Mm -hmm. And so now he's thinking like, all right, well, I guess I have to do everything the same because I don't want to have not done anything great ever. Yeah, but it's it, but it's different than the desire for greatness that's like the race around the world or the desire mm-hmm. for greatness that's like trying to impress Charles Widmore is that it's like like this is this is a real thing that will that he he doesn't fully understand it, but he knows that it will save people's lives. Like like she Yeah, mm-hmm. like those things are more existential. This is quite literal. Yeah, like she says to him like people will die if you don't do this. Mm-hmm. And and so so in that moment the choice is, you know, be selfish but happy and stay here with this woman who you love and screw the island. You know, they're on their own. But like, I'm going to make I'm going to make the choice that will allow me to stay, you know, marry this person, be with this person or do the excruciating thing. Mm-hmm. Break her heart, break your own heart, go somewhere where you might never see her again. But you have to do that. 
because other people will die. And so, so that is, I think like, that is what greatness looks like when it is also goodness, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like he, like the person who pays the price in that situation is himself. Nothing Charles Widmore does costs Charles Widmore anything. Right. But, but Desmond causes himself that pain in the hope that it will help other people. And Mm -hmm. that I think is the beginning of like, this is really the place where that kind of piece of his art really begins where it's like 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 being a good person the things that make him the desmond that penny loves also make it possible for him to do things that are important and extraordinary but just in a different way than the way that somebody like widmore would do them exactly i love i love the idea that potentially like (laughs) he's like listen penny i i have to do this and the reason is because i'm i can see the future and i go to this island and i have to press this button and it's a magic island and i do this and i do that and it's just ridiculous things and penny's like all right guy like just break up with me then like i don't need you to fabricate this whole freaking lie just to break up with me like (laughs) can you imagine being her i mean she'd look at him the same way donovan did she'd be like yeah okay guy whatever like yeah. yeah so he couldn't afford five pounds for a picture so how can he take care of her and she's like I don't care what I deserve I just want to be with you you don't you shouldn't make this about what I deserve like it feels like you're mm-hmm. blaming me mm-hmm. he or I think he talks about how like the fact that she loves him and that she thinks he's a good man isn't enough which like dude you're just saying the wrong thing over and over again he talks about how she's moving in and she's changing things and like why would you even leave your better flat or whatever She slaps him. Oh, and she says, don't you rewrite history, which is just like the perfect line Mm -hmm. for this. Um, Talks about how he was too proud to live um, in her apartment. Don't make this about what I deserve and calls him a coward. And like, that's the word. That's his like trigger word. Mm -hmm. He talks about how they are not supposed to be together. And it's like, yeah, no, you're not supposed to be right together right now. But like, maybe later. (laughs) Like, what if you figured it out? (laughs) Yeah. We deserve someone better. I know what I deserve. I chose to be with you. I love you. Love's not enough. Being a good man is not enough. What's this about, Des? Where's this coming from? It's all happening too soon. You moving in, you painting rooms, you're changing things. I don't even like red. Why would you leave your flat, your expensive flat? Don't do that. Don't you pretend you don't care. And don't you dare rewrite history. I left my expensive flat because you were too proud to live there, remember? If you want me to go, if you want me to leave, then don't make this about what I do or don't deserve. And have the decency to admit that you're doing this because you're a coward. My my headcanon is, and I don't know if we ever get this confirmed, but like, I feel like, I mean, like, even though, again, we're watching Desmond 2.0 do this, but it's like, yes. I... I bet just just from how raw and real it is that these were the exact things that he said yeah. for real. Yeah. Like that if if not these verbatim words, these were the points that he made because right. because it feels like like this is so it's so in line with what we know of his character and of the conflict in their relationship that it comes like from both his sort of his self-loathing and his pride combined his really weird relationship with her having more money than him like how Mm -hmm. how whacked out that makes him and this thing that men do in breakups constantly where they try to be like like i'm not good enough for you like you deserve better and she's like i know what i deserve like Mm -hmm. i'm a goddamn fully actualized adult human woman i'm in charge of saying what my limits and boundaries are like don't like 
Like, if you want me to leave, tell me to leave and I'll leave. But like, don't you try to get out of this by making yourself look like the good person. Like you're doing something Mm -hmm. heroic and noble by dumping me for my own good. Like, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you so much for saving me. me. From saving me from my feelings. Right. Because I'm too dumb to know on my own merits what's mm-hmm. good for me. I need a man to tell me. Like she she's so good in this scene. Like everything that mm-hmm. she said. I mean, like I and I, you know, I love Desmond. I love their, their relationship. But like listening to her talk, I was like, yes, girl, yes, all of these things. Because it's it's all they're all cowardly dude lines. They're just like, I don't want to deal with this. This is painful or humiliating or hard for me in ways I'm not ready to deal with yet. And I'm spinning this whole narrative about how like in some way I'm kind of the victim here, you know, Mm -hmm. or like I'm or I'm like heroically and nobly sacrificing my love for you because you deserve a richer, fancier Charles Widmore Jr., you know, shark in a suit ew and like uh, she doesn't want that ew and she doesn't want that and she's told him over and over again like i don't want to be with a guy that's like you know whatever hypothetical fancy rich person he's sort of creating in his head so it does it does really feel to me like like oh my god they're having this is the fight they had this is exactly what the fight was that they had and he's doing it on purpose now knowing that like there are some of those things that he probably doesn't believe anymore. And he spent three years just desperate to be back with her, but he still has to say every crappy thing all over again in order to make what happens next have to happen. And it's just Mm -hmm. so miserable, but, but watching it this way, you're miserable for both of them. Whereas if you'd seen it the first time, you'd be like, Oh my God, girl, dump this guy's an ass, dump his ass. Like Mm -hmm. he is beneath you. But now that you know, like, but he has learned and grown and he has three years more life experience now than he had when they did that the first time. It's just that it's useless in that moment. Or like, I think it's like eight years. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Cause he goes to the military in between that and everything too. Oh my God. That's right. Yeah. 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 You're right. Eight years. <laughs> yeah. So he's a totally I different think. person. Yeah. I, I Like, I love the idea that maybe the guy who like took the picture is like right there. Cause he doesn't like right there. He's probably like, Oh my God. Like, is this my fault? I don't, what is happening? Did I ruin a marriage? <laughs> gets, like, sl- she, she like slaps him and he's like, whoops. Like, should I not have chosen the Marina? I don't know. <laughs> um, so he throws the ring in the water and, um, and that's that. It's such a good scene. Such a good scene. It, it is. And Sonia Walger really like, like, Ian's good, but, like, Sonya really carries it. She's so good in that scene. It's really Penny's scene, I think. Yeah, for sure. So Desmond sulks in the pub again. What he said would happen finally does. He just had the wrong night. He warns the bartender about the cricket bat coming towards his head, and Desmond gets hit instead. So he sees the McCutcheon whiskey behind the bar, and it's like, oh my god, will he buy it? Be- like, just to spite, like, Widmore or whatever? But he straight up can't afford it, so he just asks for whatever's cheapest. He says that he's celebrating the worst mistake of his life. The song comes on, the win, uh, the soccer win happens, and oh boy, was there a lot in this soccer thing. So here, hold on, I've got Why? a bunch of stuff from Lostpedia here. So that because of the advertisements behind... Oh, I read about this. Yes. Yes. So there's a bunch of advertisements. First of all, an ad for Radio RPR 103.5. Thanks, but you gave us nothing because um, every other advertisement is important. But except for that one. Um, so first of all, we have the Apollo candy, which we talk about all the time. The Apollo bars is a uh, candy bar that's made up specifically of Lost. If you see the Apollo 
bar in any other show, it's a reference to Lost. The Hanso Foundation, which is oh. part of like the Dharma Initiative, mm-hmm. Oceanic Airlines, obviously, uh, Mr. Cluck's Chicken Shack, Gannon Car Rentals, which we'll talk about later, Buddy's Diapers, which is the um, diaper brand that Charlie and Driveshaft did a commercial for in Fire Plus Water. Oh my god. Um, Kronos, which we'll talk about, and Expose, which we'll also talk about later. So first of all, Gannon Car Rentals is a fictional company that is advertised on the back of Oceanic Airlines tickets. It's seen in 110, 115, 123, 124, 303, and this episode. Um, This is the last time that it's seen in the series, but it's also in the show Heroes a lot and on one episode of Glee. Huh? Oh, funny. Apparently. So um, it is a fictional company from Lost, and Kronos is a real company that makes clocks, but also Kronos is the Greek titan usually regarded as the god of time. You know what else Kronos is? Tell me. The Klingon homeworld. I knew that. I knew you didn't. That's why I brought it up. (laughs) And then there's also an ad for Expose at the game in 1996, but the show's fourth season, once we learn a little bit more about Expose, the fourth season was filmed in 2004, which means it's Mm -hmm. unlikely that Expose would be around at that time. Um, So I'm not really sure about that one, but someone said that it's possible that the 2004 series was a reboot of a previous series, but it's but a distance of only four years between a reboot and the original seems unlikely. So we're not really sure how to explain that one. I think that's hilarious. Maybe maybe it's like Sherlock and every season has like two years in between or something. <laughs> exactly. So Jimmy Lennon comes in with the cricket bat and he's supposed to hit the bartender, but Desmond rewrites history and gets hit by it instead, which kind of knocks him back into the present. Um, So Desmond wakes up in the jungle naked, just like we saw him in 303. He sees that the hatch is gone and promises that if he had another chance, he wouldn't ruin it. I don't believe him. I also don't believe him. Bless his heart. So welcome back to the jungle naked Des. He is running around. He finds debris from the hatch and it's just straight up totally exploded. I I think this is the first time that we see the exploded hatch. Uh, that might not be true. He finds the photo of him and Penny, so it's lucky. I, I think that the island had something to do with that, with, with the fact that um that one picture wasn't exploded and that he was able to find it because that's like a really important picture for him to like see to like give him motivation to move on. You know, yeah, hundred percent. I mean? Um, he wants to go back and fix it again, but. It's fate, and he wouldn't have fixed it either way. Like, Eloise would have, like, shown up again and been like, don't do this, man. Like, we, it's we, not going to happen. We, you we, don't got to go we through this again. this game. <laughs> <laughs> so How then we get... shoes does this man have to lose? <laughs> so then we get clips from the last few episodes because he can see the future. And, um, like, basically just showing us that he can see the future. On Lostpedia, it said, When Charlie is describing the events of the lightning strike, he says, Just by chance, you pitch your little rod outside Claire's tent, and two hours later, lightning strikes. However, in the original circumstances, Desmond pitched the rod only minutes before the rain and subsequent lightning strike. So, um, that might just be Charlie making a mistake. But, like, it's even more creepy actually because it was like literally minutes before the lightning rather than like hours a rare screw up from lost Hmm. either that or i think charlie is just unreliable and doesn't know time (laughs) that's that's fair um so for the last scene um we go back to desmond attacking charlie he asks one more time and desmond finally tells him he's tried to save him twice now but like eloise said if it's your time it's your time Charlie is going to die. The final line in this episode is so chilling. Yeah. I like, I, I remember it. Like I remember the moment Mm -hmm. that I watched this for the first time and like hearing that because Charlie at that point 
was my favorite character. And like looking back on Charlie, when I first watched this show, I was 15 years old. And now looking back as a, well, currently 25 year old, but this episode comes out on my birthday. So 26, I guess. Um, 10 years later, like I know that Charlie has like some pretty serious faults, but like, God, was that ever like a heart stopper when I heard mm-hmm. it for the first time? Well, especially because like what I what I like about that, like that that and then and then the moment where um, where Eloise goes meta are the two real sort of like record scratch. Wait, what mm-hmm. kind of moments mm-hmm. in the episode? And it's because they do like what you're saying in the beginning, like when they they take you, the viewer, kind of on the same journey with Desmond that everyone watching Desmond is on. So like, right, you know. We see him, like, a light bulb flashes in his head and he takes off running through the jungle and Hurley's like, what? And, like, they don't know. And so we find out, as they find out, oh, he somehow sensed that Claire was in the water. But they're all centered on Claire. Exactly. And so even if you've begun by this point to put together figuring it out yes that he has some kind of foreknowledge that that some the some something is happening that is giving desmond inklings of of bad things just in time to stop them the misdirect that they're all claire focused and then the reveal that it actually has nothing to do with claire it's that every single time he is saving charlie Mm-hmm. from from ancillary damage that would have been caused by the fact that Charlie's around Claire all the time or Charlie would have dived in to save Claire and then he would have drowned like it's it's such an amazingly unexpected twist and it also really recontextualizes both how shitty Charlie has been to Desmond through the whole episode and mm-hmm. his sort of weird jealousy thing but also it makes it so much more profound that Charlie's the only person from the island that Desmond sees in his flashback. Like it explains like mm-hmm. this this is why this is the person who's really important. Because yeah. this is, you know, and then and then like watching, you know, we can we talk about this one in the spoiler section, but like, you know, watching him singing Wonderwall and like the line about like you're gonna be the one that saves me. And it's like we want mm-hmm. like he and he's doing that over and over again, you know, yeah. and and the question that we're left with that this episode does not answer is basically like, how far can Desmond kick the can down the road? Like, can he mm-hmm. yeah. and and is the best he can do to keep stalling, or is there some kind of flexibility? in terms of how the universe of of how how fate or destiny kind of works in this world mm-hmm. and we don't know any of that yet all we know is basically like you know the thing that charlie thought was happening is not what was happening at all and now this is a com- like now we're in a totally different story and it's just wild it's a wild mic drop moment to end the episode on you tell me you saw a flash of claire drowning this morning that's how you knew how to save her I wasn't saving Claire, Charlie. I was saving you. This morning, you dove in after Claire. You tried to save her, but... You drowned. What are you talking about? I didn't drown. When I saw the lightning hit the roof, you were electrocuted. And when you heard Claire was in the water, you... you drowned trying to save her. I dove in myself so you never went in. I've I've tried, brother, I've tried twice to save you, but... the universe has a way of course correcting and... and I can't stop it forever. 
sorry. I'm sorry because no matter what I try to do, you're gonna die, Charlie. And something that like I don't feel like I think about very much because it's absolutely horrifying to me is like later in this season, we actually get to see one of Desmond's um, flashes to Charlie dying, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't die in that moment, but we get to see that flash of Charlie dying. And it it occurred to me how many times Desmond has actually gotten like a really explicit visual of a man dying. Like yeah, I yeah. can't even imagine like electrocution, drowning, like, and then what happens to him later, like it's just, mm -hmm. um, or like the vision that he has later is just so like horrifying to me to, to think that like he gets these visions and like actually sees basically a snuff film in his brain every single time is so scary to me. Yeah. It's trauma. Like, it's literally instill like it's a it's a trauma for Desmond to have to witness and it also mm -hmm. makes Which is why he doesn't want to kick the can as as long as as right. he can and he he's doing it because he's a good man. He's doing exactly exactly like he's doing it because he like because he cares enough about Charlie and about these people that it's like and and this this gets into so much of my like you know time traveler ethics mm -hmm. stuff I want to talk about in a minute but like yes but he, you know, it, it also adds another kind of emotional layer to, you know, like you were mentioning before, like when, when he's kind of like, when, you know, when Charlie is like, it's like, is she okay? Is she okay? And, and Desmond is like, oh my God, like, yappy <laughs> golden retriever, take a step back. And it's like, it, you know, it, it makes sense why, like, I think there's a piece of Desmond that's resistant to like bonding too much with Charlie because he, Desmond doesn't know yet if he can really save him. Mm -hmm. You know, like Desmond doesn't know yet. Can I actually find a way to like definitively prevent this person from dying? And right. And like, is there some way for me to maybe just like switch him with somebody else? And if I can do that, yeah. Who would I want that to be? You know, like Ben. <laughs> right. And and is it you know, or or is it like the um uh you know is is it one of those things where like if he you know. If he tries too hard to save Charlie, might that cause somebody else? You know, like like there's all yeah. of the like all of this stuff. So I have lots of thoughts on this, obviously, but mm -hmm. but yeah, but I I think that the real heartbreak of when you think about the emotional impact that it must have on Desmond, that like like it's not just like he knows these things like they're facts, like he experiences the death happening in front of him. Yeah, every time. Every time. And like every time he saves Charlie, it's like now he knows that he's going to have to experience his death in some other way in his next vision. Yeah, every time he thinks he stopped it, he has not stopped it. Yeah. So in the scene, um, we see him get called a coward again, because of course, now it means something more to us because we saw Penny calling him a coward. Um, he attacks Charlie, talks about how he can't change his fate. And Hurley kind of does like the um, like the crazy hand gesture where you like move yeah. your finger around. And it's like, yeah. it's really interesting. I know he doesn't use the word, but like, Hurley calling Desmond crazy is pretty funny coming from him because mm -hmm. he like hates being called crazy so much. He's constantly being like, I'm not crazy. Stop saying that because, you know, I mean, basically because Hurley's entire backstory. Right. Charlie, 
has a change of heart and just like starts wanting to help him desmond tells charlie that he's a good man he tells charlie that he's a good man um which is probably why he wants to save him and because now he remembers seeing charlie busking which like not that he didn't like 10 minutes ago in his timeline really but like he remembers like that sweet little baby Charlie. He says that he is a coward and he knows it, so it's okay. Charlie still asks to know. He really wants to know how he knew that. He talks about how he turned the key, his life flashed before his eyes, and it's basically just like still flashing because now he like can see <laughs> basically Charlie's life flashing mm -hmm. before his eyes. Not Charlie's eyes, but Desmond's eyes. Yeah. Um, he wasn't saving Claire both of those times. He was saving Charlie. He's been saving him this entire time, this entire season so far basically he's going to die and desmond can't really stop it and so it's you know he basically has to make the decision which of these deaths is most i don't know like heroic or like is is he does he not deserve but is like good enough for him mm -hmm. you know like if he just got electrocuted us as viewers would be like hey that was lame <laughs> uh, like I, I'm loath to bring up the hundred, but um, all those deaths at the end there is exactly how I would feel if, if uh -huh. they just straight up, if if they had just killed Charlie by electrocuting him at the beginning of a season and then just moved on. You know, well, what if he was then became a wacky, waveable, inflatable arm flailing tube man? Yeah, and what if Hurley <laughs> killed him? And what then if, moved oh on. Lord. <laughs> what if his best what? friend killed him and then moved on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what if what if everyone died and there were no consequences and no one gave a crap? Right. You know? You know? <laughs> you know how that is? Yeah. But who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> who could do such a thing? Okay, so now let's go into Claire's big notes about time travel. But first, can I go to the bathroom one more time? Yeah, oh, yeah, you can. Okay, I'll be right back. Okay, I'm so excited. Not for the bathroom. I don't care about that. I'm not that invested in your life. <laughs> Why? Why that happen? I'm so excited for you to pee. <laughs> Love this journey for you. <laughs> so um, now that we are finished the recap of the episode, before we go into our segments, Claire, I want to hear about the research that you did. Okay. So I'm super, super, super excited. <laughs> I went, I went full Claire on this. Like I, um, <laughs> I, I'm it's very, very nerdy. So so one of the things so when I was rewatching it, you know, I was I was like you mentioned in the intro, like I am I am a author of time travel. And one of the things that I think about a lot while I'm writing that plays a really significant plot role in the rewind files is is sort of the question of like like the the ethics and responsibility of time travelers like um if you are in a timeline that is not your own whether it's like a different version of your past life or visiting a different point in history and you have knowledge that could change the outcome of a particular situation you know like like what do you do what's the sort of the extent to which you can change things um, is the is the sort of quote unquote like right like do you kill baby Hitler basically is like, yes yeah. right like is the is the moral ethical thing to do to like leave it alone and not mess with it because you don't know what'll happen if you do it could get worse it could get worse you know like like Desmond continuing to try to kill Charlie like one of or trying to save Charlie one of those times kill Charlie <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not that. But like, you know, like Desmond could keep trying to save Charlie and one of those times it could go horribly wrong and kill eight people. You know, like he doesn't know. Eight and like people. one of the um oh, see, it's just the numbers are in my head. <laughs> so there's a um there's a, a a book and TV show called Outlander, which I really, really like, although I like the first one better. 
And they are famous for being smutty, but my favorite scene is actually, this is the most Claire thing I'm going to say in this whole podcast. <laughs> my favorite scene is not the smut scene. It's the scene where Claire talks to a priest about the ethics of time travel. So, so the plot of- Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. The plot of Outlander is this doctor from, this woman doctor from World War II, um, or I guess she's a, she's a nurse, gets sort of pulled, pulled through ma- by magic through these sort of magical stones in Scotland to the 17th century. And she, you know, she's, she's married and has work and a life in her, in the, her other world, but she's like stuck in 17th century Scotland and has no idea how to get home. And, and so the sort of long arc of these books is, you know, she like falls in love with this Scottish guy and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, and it's very smutty, but, um, but she lands at a period in Scottish history that she's kind of an expert in because her husband in World War II was a historian. Mm. And so she knows all about this uprising, which is about to happen, which Jamie, her new guys, friends and family and his whole community are about to be slaughtered. And she knows that she like, she knows how in English history, this whole rebellion plays out. And so there's a, there's a moment kind of late in the first book where she and Jamie are on the run and they go hide out in this monastery and she's sitting in the chapel, um, like late at night alone. And the priest comes in and, and she, and she finally tells him, he's like kind of the first person besides her husband, Jamie, that she basically is like, so I'm a time traveler from (laughs) 300 years in the future. And just lays the whole story out on him. And A, he believes her, which is just like really deeply satisfying, you know. Um, <laughs> Donovan. And he, yeah, exactly. Yeah, screw you, Donovan. Um, so he believes her immediately. <laughs> and he's also sort of fascinated and entranced by it. But she's basically like, 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 what do I do? Like, is the, like, I know people are going to die. And I know those people now. And I care about them now. They're not just like names in an old history textbook to me anymore. They're like my husband's friends so is is the moral ethical thing for me to do to allow history to sort of unfold as it's supposed to and maybe I can save like my husband and his a couple of friends but I can't stop the war or is the moral thing to do to be like if I know somebody is going to die is it my responsibility to stop it and the priest basically is like I think if you know somebody is going to die, it's your like the, you know, the moral thing to do is always to try to save the life. And he like, she's a doctor, you know, and and so who she is as a person is very much focused on like, if you see a person in danger in front of you, you try to save them. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the of the sort of later books become about the things that they do, and some of which are successful and some are not in an attempt to kind of rewrite history a little bit. Um, because she's realized like that she can't just sort of stand back and let these things happen. And, um, and I, and I was thinking, so I was thinking about that as I was watching this episode and thinking about the choices that Desmond is making to try and save Charlie. And that like, because he's just a person who like, he just can't casually let somebody die and not try to stop it. Like, because that, that sort of piece of his cowardice is already gone, you know, Mm -hmm. like he, he can't, the path of least resistance, the kind of chicken shit thing to do here would be to be like, well, sorry, like let the first death take him. And then at least I'm free of these visions. Right. You know, but like, he just can't not do it. He can't not, you know, try something like try to save Charlie every single time, you know, he can't. And so one of the things, so then, and I remembered that one of the things that the show does when we talk about like a little bit with um, Eloise Hawking is the characters in the show 
a couple of them are named after, like you said, like famous philosophers yeah. and scientists. And Desmond is named for David Hume. David Hume, yes. And so I was like, I wonder if I looked up who David Hume was and like what he wrote about and kind of what he was a specialist in, if it would have any kind of resonance to to Desmond's storyline, the way like John, like the way Locke, you know, who mm-hmm. is like named after another philosopher, John Locke. And I don't know a lot about Locke because I tuned out most of that part of American history <laughs> class. But uh, so, but I, but I know that that was something like, that was like an intentional choice, like sort of philosophically of like who this character is, is shaped by, you know, tenets of philosophy that were mm-hmm. espoused by this person we named him after. So I wanted to see if that also held true of David Hume. And it turns out that actually the, the the sort of philosophical concept that David Hume is the, and I'm totally going to accidentally call him Desmond Hume at least once, but like, <laughs> so Hume the philosopher was best known for kind of being not the originator of, but was like the most prominent voice of a, um, a school of philosophical thought that was called compatibilism and, and compatible in the sense that we that we use the word in normal conversation, like these two things can coexist. But basically mm-hmm. like what compatibilism teaches is that both determinism, like, you know, everything is laid out for you, you know, through laws of science or fate or destiny or whatever, mm-hmm. basically like the future is set in stone and free will can coexist. So like, so basically like, oh, and he was Scottish, which I didn't know. Hume, the <laughs> philosopher was Scottish, which was also pretty dope. But so, so determinism is basically like, and this was like a very popular sort of philosophy at the time. Determinism basically is like everything that happens is like already set. Um, like every, everything that happens has a cause that you can trace it back to and you can predict. And if you knew enough about, if you had enough facts about a person that theoretically you could predict every future thing that person would ever do because everything that exists comes from somewhere and those laws are unchanging and and maybe you're a secularist and so you believe those things are like you know like the laws of nature maybe you're religious and you believe that it's like god and predestination but either way it's like it's locked it's set like we're just kind of going through the motions and and that the sort of prevailing kind of mindset at the time was basically like Therefore, like that mindset is is sort of inherently opposed to like free will, freedom of choice, people making their own decisions. And and basically what Hume said was like, actually, like those things can totally exist at the same time. Like like freedom doesn't mean there are no other forces at play in your life. It doesn't mean that our actions can't also have exterior causes or exterior influences. All it means is that at some point, could that person have made a different choice than the one that they made? And if the answer is yes, then compatibilism basically says like, okay, so both free will and destiny can simultaneously be at play in this person's life. So Desmond can both be destined to go to the island and chooses freely to go to the island. And both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And um, and so, so one of the things that I thought was really cool about it was that like, that in this episode, we hear other characters sort of like we like we kind of hear all of the different philosophies of time travel of which sort of Hume's belief kind of like lives in the middle. So like Donovan, like the reason I think Donovan is is 
important, even though it's very random that it's like, hello, my best friend who has never been mentioned before and yeah. won't ever be again. Um, you know how you're a physicist, but what, but the line, that, <laughs> Donovan's like one line, like the thing that we hear him saying to the student when he's walking out of the classroom is he says, the wild card is unpredictability. You run the same test 10 times, you get 10 different outcomes. And so that philosophy of, you know, of fate, of time travel is very much like, you know, that, that a human being in, in a slightly different sort of confluence of circumstances, like there's 10 different choices Desmond could have made, you know, mm-hmm. because he's choosing these things freely. Like he could go to the island. He could not go to the island. He could do it in a different way. You know, he could, and, and that all those things are things that he's choosing freely. But then, but then the way that Eloise talks about it is basically like, look, the universe is going to course correct. And so the guy with the red shoes is supposed to die. That was his path. You're supposed to go to the island. That's your path. And, you know, the harder you try not to, the more, you know, the the clunkier the machinery of the general timeline as it sort of reboots itself. Uh, but at the same time, like, but he still has a choice. Like in that moment, when he sort of picks that fight with Penny, knowing that this is the thing that he has to do for everything to happen next, he chooses that. And it's mm-hmm. a free choice even though he knows it's also his destiny. Like those things are true at the same time and one doesn't make the other less true. And, and I, and it's also, I think the thing that I think is really interesting about it, sort of looping back to the good versus great stuff is that one of the things that Hume said is like, like, it's not just that it's possible for free will and, and destiny to coexist. It's like, you can't determine if an action is good or not if they don't, like they kind of have to coexist because if they Mm -hmm. don't like, like if there's no external systems, there's no forces that govern our actions. There's no destiny. There's no, none of that stuff. Then that kind of makes it like, like humans have unlimited control over the universe and everything in it, which we know is not true. Like Mm -hmm. that can't be possible. Like I can't be like, I choose to not be susceptible to gravity today. It's like, well, that's not, (laughs) that isn't a thing. I would like it sometimes to be a thing because I fall a lot. It's true, but knows. gravity is a thing and I I am beholden to it you know as is like the passage of time and paying taxes and all that kind of stuff so like it, it wouldn't it makes no sense to sort of posit a universe where there's like no external forces sort of determining how things happen because like I'm not I'm not Q. I'm not omniscient. Like I can't just sort of snap my finger and control things. On the flip side though, if all of our actions are predetermined and we have no choice, then like everything, then essentially your life is just random chance. There's no responsibilities. You have no, yeah. And, and so, so how do you, so like I could, I could accidentally do a thing that is good or a thing that is bad. But if, but if I'm not in control of it, then it's like, like I don't get the moral credit for having done the good thing or the like demerits from having done the bad thing if I didn't choose those things freely. Right. And I do, I want to loop back to this in the spoiler section because there's some other characters that I think this compatibilism, you know, free will and destiny being sort of simultaneously true plays into particularly with Penny and with Charlie that in ways that we aren't at yet. But I think mm-hmm. in this episode, in terms of how how it uh, it how it shapes what we know of where Desmond is at right now you know like he if he didn't have any free will like if if Eloise was was right in in that like he has that he had no agency that it's just basically like look just lean into it you have no control 
you can't fight this. Just, you know, like, just give me the ring. Go to the island. Right. He's just, like, fighting against the wind trying to actually propose to Penny. Right. But exactly. he just can't because, like, it's just not the fate. Right. So if that, so if it was true that he had no control over it, then it doesn't make us feel like he's becoming a better person when we watch him make a different choice, but it is, and he does, you know, he, he makes that choice again, even though it's painful for both him and for Penny in a slightly different way. And for a slightly different reason, like we talked about before, that is, that is also connected to, to the memories that he has of the Island, to the knowledge that people's lives are depending on him to the fact that like, that he knows how important it is that he be in that place, pushing that button, you know, doing that, that he knows what happened. The one time he didn't push the button and the plane crashed, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like that he, that he has all this knowledge now that, that helps him know that like, actually in this moment, like, like it may have been that before for Desmond 1.0, the, the good thing for him to do, the moral thing for him to do would be to sort of get over his cowardice and just marry Penny and like work on his own manhood issues and, <laughs> you know, and just like, and stay there and be in that life. But right now, knowing what he knows and knowing what has to happen, the, the, the moral good choice is that he has to break his own heart and cause pain to the person that he loves the most and put himself through this trauma of revisiting these, you know, these, these years he spent on the Island um, and all of the other sort of journey that he has to go on um, after ending this relationship with her because other people's lives are now depending on him being in that place at that time. And so Mm -hmm. if he didn't have the free will to make that choice, then, then it would just be like, well, he did it like, you know, in a universe of random chance, he randomly made a slightly different choice this time than he did last time, but neither of them mean anything, but it deeply means something. And it's because I think the show is of the mindset that David Hume was, you know, was espousing, which is that these things are true at the same time for everybody. Like everybody who is on the Island is, you know, we are led to believe destined in some way to have ended up there at the same time. And we don't know the whole story yet because we're so early in the show. Like that piece is already clear, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like there are things that couldn't have happened if these people hadn't all ended up in the same place. And those things were important and they had to happen for some reason, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're kind of putting the puzzle pieces together of like why and what that means and what are the sort of forces that are controlling it and, and, and how is the Island sort of a force at play in people's lives and all that kind of stuff. But we know that like, you know, the show very clearly is, you know, like believes in a universe where destiny and fate are real, but not in a way that deprives the characters of their agency or or makes the things that happen to them. You know, like like the island making something happen doesn't like it doesn't do that at the expense of like a character still has to make a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, like the and and people still grow from the choices that they make and it shapes sort of who they are. And so I just so I thought that was like so interesting, just like that, like not just that they pick the name of a famous Scottish philosopher and that was like a neat throwback and also a sort of uh, a subtle little way that Desmond and Locke are kind of connected thematically, but also that like the the philosophy of David Hume is in effect the philosophy of lost the show mm-hmm. in addition to being very much centered around like, like sort of embodied in its clearest and best way by the story of Desmond, the character. So I just thought that was really neat. That's so Yay! cool. That's so cool. 
Yes. That was that was genius. Incredible, iconic. Thank you. I was very excited. I've been sitting on that for a week. I was so hyped. <laughs> I just I can't believe how well all of that fit together. And it was mm-hmm. like these writers truly they thought about everything. They did. All the time. They thought about everything. They really, really did. And it's and and that and that things have more than one payoff. You know, mm-hmm. like like Desmond is the character who's named after this philosopher, and it's a Desmond episode where you know we really sort of get that made textual. But it, but it's a philosophy that if like this isn't the last time that will ever come up, right? And he's not the only character whose whose journey is in some way about the kind of tension or collision between free will and fate. It's like that's like a a huge question that the overall kind of meta narrative is constantly wrestling. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to get into the spoiler section though, so we can talk about your thoughts on uh, yes. Charlie and Penny. So let's go into our um, segments here. And that starts with our favorite line award. Um, my favorite line award goes to Desmond and Charlie for... We were on an island. We are on an island, mate. This is England. <laughs> It's so funny. It's so good. I laughed at that so loud. And mine goes to Eloise and Desmond for... That man over there is wearing red shoes. So? What then? Just thought it was a bold fashion choice worth noting. Okay. You're like, all right. <laughs> it's just so wonderfully irreverent. She's like, I just thought it was an interesting fashion choice. Desmond's like... Yeah, like she's like, just... Just remarking, and you're like, okay, you're weird, and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, so that's why. Oh, okay, it was interesting, all right. Uh, and my favorite line was uh, Charlie talking to Hurley and saying, People need food. They need medical supplies. They need shocking amounts of pornography. Shocking amounts of pornography? <laughs> Do they? Do they need that? Okay. Uh, and now we're going to talk about Man of Science, Man of Faith. So um, this episode, we're talking about Desmond. I think that he's almost entirely faith a lot of the time. Um, but I also like the idea of like, you know, Eloise being like, hey, have faith about this fate. And Desmond's like, no, science, science, science. I can do what I want. And then ends up taking the faith route anyway. Yeah, I think I think in some ways that kind of ties into... The Hume thing, it's like the man of science characters are the ones who are like, I make my own choices. I'm in control of my own destiny. Like mm-hmm. I am like, you can't tell me, you know, and, and the characters who are more faith driven are like, look, the island's going to do wild things or like we are not in control and things just kind of happen. And I do think that he is, I think he's both in this episode. I think he's primarily overall very much a man of faith, but I think he sort of wants to be because Charles Woodmore is like, I think that he wants to yes. be a man of science. He wants to be sort of successful in those very kind of pragmatic ways. And I think he becomes the best version of himself when he really leans into the fact that he's just like a dreamy eyed, shaggy haired romantic. Mm-hmm. For Hurley's Walkman, we have um, Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin, which totally makes sense. Uh, obviously, make your own kind of music. And obviously, Wonderwall, uh, which I'm really excited to talk about in the spoiler section. Uh, for Sawyer's Book Corner, uh, we had um, Laughter in the Dark by Vladimir Nabokov. And... Um, there are a few things like sometimes when you go on Lostpedia and they give you a book, sometimes you can click on the book title and sometimes it'll just take you to the book's Wikipedia page, which makes me go, ma boo. And sometimes it takes you to a Lostpedia page in which people have 
analyzed the themes of the book and put it towards Lost. And luckily this one had one of those, which I was really pleased about. So on the... Um, uh, Lostpedia page for this book, it said the book's beginning two paragraphs comprise a prologue, an epilogue, and a summary giving away the ending at the start so as not to be what motivates the reader and that, that kind of uh, this non-linear storytelling is something the novel holds in common with Lost and I also, you know, I kind of like that about, you know, Hamilton it was like the, the choice that Lynn made to mm -hmm. at, uh, uh, in the first song have Aaron Burr say hey, just so you know, like he dies and I'm the one who kills him, Yeah, you know, and so so it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch their, you know, their meeting, they're becoming friends, they're becoming enemies, like knowing what uh what happens at the end. So mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Um it's also said that Hurley is the one who's seen with the book. Um and the book's name Laughter in the Dark alludes to Hurley's less serious character, you know, in like such a I mean, I know this this show does hold a lot of joy, which I really, really, really appreciate about mm -hmm. it. Um, but ultimately, it is a drama show, and Hurley is truly is like the laughter in the dark, you know. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I I know nothing about this book. The only Nabokov I know is Lolita, and I'm really glad that's not the one that they use. <laughs> oh my god! Bye. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm canceling you. Goodbye. <laughs> For did they do the thing? The thing is when they say the name of the episode in the episode. They almost did the thing, but I'm going to count it. Desmond says, when I turned that key, my life flashed mm. before my eyes. The mm -hmm. episode's called Flashes Before Your Eyes. When I turned that key, my life flashed before my eyes. But it's it's basically like, they're labeling the episode. They're labeling it as the flashes before his eyes. True. You know, mm -hmm. which I think is cool. I think it counts. Um, how many episodes since the last knockout? Do you guys think that Desmond, like, our, our, our rules for knockout are that it has to be on island. So I, I think it's one episode since the last knockout. Because our rules are that it has to be on island. And then, no yeah. one, and no one got knocked out. On the island? On the island. Like, mm -hmm. I think. Well, I mean. England is an island, mate. Oh, I mean, you're right about that. <laughs> Does this episode pass the Bechdel test? No. Please. Like, definitely not, right? Because the only- It barely has women. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's too bad. Oh, well. I... Sad. Stay tuned for our segment after the outro. We'll be discussing this episode within the context of the rest of the series. Please be aware that this will be rampant with spoilers, so proceed with caution. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. Thank you to the creators and community at Lostpedia. Our spoiler song was composed and produced by Francis Neefs. And thank you so much to our lovely roommates, Emily and Sam, for their cooperation and respect while we recorded this podcast. Thank you to them for quietly sitting in their rooms. We deeply appreciate them. If you are so inclined, please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That would be cute. Uh, if you're a fan of The Hunter, we'd like to talk about that show too. <laughs> um, we did Sorry. seasons four to seven as they were airing. Um, those last two seasons there were uh, rough. That Oof. last one, uh, poor, uh, I'm willing to say. But we are going back to doing the, the first three seasons. It's a show that we actually loved at that point for catharsis and also just to have the whole set. Have yeah. a podcast for every episode. Yeah, you, know? you wouldn't know anything about that show, would you? Um, I hmm. would like to exercise my right to plead the Fifth Amendment in order <laughs> so I... as not to incriminate myself. <laughs> Claire's like, I abstain. I abstain. Claire's like, I'm not going to say anything. And I 
I like flagrantly get on multiple podcasts and I'm like, that show fucking sucks. Yeah. No, I did. I, I, I was telling you, I think in the, in the break when we weren't recording, um, I was telling Brittany that I guested on a podcast about a truly wonderful show called Black Sales. And we talked about things like, for example, queer characters that get satisfying endings and character <laughs> deaths executed well. And I did mention by name a couple of different times another show which fails at those particular things very yeah. specifically um if you're <laughs> if you're a fan of riverdale we like to talk about that show too um we are in the midst of the fifth season um we have a podcast for every single episode of that show and it's weekly like we don't know what happens in the next episode when we record the podcast like you can listen to us watch the episodes basically like as they're happening which i think is really cool be wrong yeah and there was a huge time jump this episode uh when or this season when we're recording this the big time jump episode happens tomorrow so i am so excited i and can't wait to see how dumb it's gonna be i know well i heard i a lot of people are saying it's like good which is weird because riverdale usually isn't good <laughs> so but in like a good way yeah like, like i was bad but in a good way mm -hmm. anyway so go and check out our riverdale podcast uh if you're a fan of stranger things you like to talk about that show too we did all of season one all of season two and we're taking up 2021 to do season three hopefully after that we'll have some season four Woohoo! If you're a fan of Star Trek, we like to talk about that whole franchise. We covered season one of Star Trek Picard, and eventually we will get to, I don't know, the whole rest of the franchise. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Claire was on for our roundtable for the first uh, season of Picard, so if you guys want to yes. hear more of Claire, you can check it out there. And um, she was also on our 201 podcast for uh, the Lost podcast, like I said before. So if you're just like, wow, would love to hear more of Claire, first of all, follow her on Twitter. She has so many followers. <laughs> idiot <laughs> um you can follow Make like chrissy teigen and follow claire on twitter <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can follow at the aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Redbubble, YouTube, mostly Twitter, but I post gifts of all of our favorite line awards on Tumblr. Eventually, I will get to Eloise commenting on that man's shoes. And then you can have that gift if you want it. Dope. Uh, our Patreon uh, is patreon.com slash the aficionados. If you like what we do here, please consider donating because it is expensive. Um, we would really appreciate it. Uh, like we said at the in the middle of the podcast, um, $1 and up gets you early access to the pods, um, all of the pods. Um, this one goes up a whole week in advance so it's worth it for that i think and five dollars and up gets you 10 percent off at shoppylux.com um we're also trying to figure out some more perks potentially um so maybe join our patreon so you can vote on those that would be cool i've got ideas um you can follow me personally at robin e jeffrey that's r-o-b-y and e-j-e-f-f-r-u-i pretty much everywhere and you can follow me on twitter at apritania which is b-r-i-t-t-a-n-i-a with an underscore at the end but i don't know why you would Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Where can they follow you on Twitter? Just like uh, Chrissy Teigen. Uh, uh, my uh, my main Twitter is at Claire Willett, C-L-A-I-R-E-W-I-L-L-E-T-T. -T. Um, oh, she can spell. And, uh, and, and it is, um, it's mercifully a slightly less miserable politics screaming than it was during the Trump administration, although it's mm. not no miserable politics screaming. <laughs> and, uh, and also just like that I'm incapable of watching a television show now without live tweeting it. And then my, uh, my alt account is at Claire Trek, C-L-A-I-R-E-T-R-E-K. And that is where I keep all of my Star Trek live tweet content corralled so as not to endlessly spam 
all of my like, you know, friends from high school and siblings and whoever follows me on my other ones. So mm-hmm. yeah, so if you like Star Trek, there's lots of content there for you. And can you give a small synopsis of the Rewind files? Just like a really like, like three sentence long one. I, um, I yes. have read it and it's great. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that you have read it. Um, there's a character named after both Robin and, and a, both Robin and Brittany are, will appear in the second book in some form. I'll just say that. <laughs> so you're definitely going to um, want to check that out. So that care, when you see The it. careful wording. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, Brit- you- Brittany knows why I had to reboot yeah. that sentence and start yeah. it over again. So the rewind files, but that way, oh, but that, but that way, then when you when you when you read the first one, and then you're like, wow, this is great, and then when you read the second one, you'll be able to find us. So it's yes, worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I like to seed in the names of my friends and relatives into the books. But so the first rewind files came out in 2015, and it is a. Uh, time travel adventure about Watergate. So it's a, a mom-daughter pair of time travel agents in the future about 100 years from now who accidentally stumble into a sort of century-spanning time travel conspiracy that they trace back to the Richard Richard Nixon's White House. And so Reggie, the protagonist, ends up kind of bumbling into Watergate, essentially. Um, and from there, lots of other things sort of start to happen and uh, kind of bounces all over the world and all through time and, you know, sort of uncovers a vast conspiracy that nobody knew existed that leads to um, a sort of alternate history version of the U.S. So the America that she lives in went to war with China in the 80s. And there's all of these sort of pieces of history that are different and she finds out that none of those things were supposed to happen and she has to basically go back to the 1970s and stop it it is it is not not all the president's men fan fiction (laughs) that was my favorite book when i was in high school which tells you a lot about me (laughs) woodward and bernstein make cameos in it it's like a whole thing but but yeah so so i wrote that book in 2015 and i have spent the past four years attempting to sort of slog my way through the second and third ones, which are exponentially more complicated on a plot level. And so they're much, much harder to write. Um, but eventually, someday, there will be three books. And that'll be I'm great. so excited. Thank yes, you. I can't recommend it enough. I really enjoyed it when I read it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Our next episode is episode 309. It's called Stranger in a Strange Land. It is known as the worst episode of Lost, not only just from the fandom, but also from the creators of Lost. They know that this is the worst episode. I'm really excited to talk about it because um, I just want to maybe see if I can make sense of that trash fire i'm looking forward to it our guest is going to be anna she is at the last Amazon on uh on twitter and uh yeah looking forward to talking to her about it what a great username i know right <laughs> yeah okay love you bye okay love you bye Spoiler time! So first of all, um, the couple of episode fun facts that I was talking about earlier. It's the second of five episodes in which both Matt and Evie don't appear. The others are The Other 48 Days, uh, Meet Kevin Johnson in season four, Jughead in season five, and Dead is Dead, which I think is all, I'm pretty sure is also in season five. Also, the flashback in this episode is the second longest running flashback in the series. Meet Kevin Johnson is longer only by seconds. That's crazy. So that's kind of cool. I'm going to go into some of my uh, spoiler notes that I picked up. And then once I'm done all of those, I want to hear Claire's thoughts on, on what was it called? Started with a C. Tell me. Oh, um, compatibilism. Compatibilism. Yes. 
Uh, okay, so first of all, um, Desmond does CPR to Claire. In season four, Jack does CPR to Desmond because he's like drowning a little. So there's that. Um, and also Charlie try died trying to save Claire apparently, but Charlie's a really strong swimmer and that's like an important plot point at the end of this season. So I guess like, I don't know, the undercurrent just got him as well. I mean, once something. a riptide comes free, it doesn't mean matter how good a swimmer you are. Yeah. Widmore won't give Desmond the whiskey because he's like not good enough or whatever, which is why it's such a big deal in the flash sideways when Desmond, who hasn't even met Penny, is Widmore's right-hand man, and Widmore, like, without even asking, offers him the wh- the whiskey. Mm-hmm. That's why it's such a huge deal in the um in the Flash Sideways when he does it. Yeah, Charlie uh, and Desmond's run-in in, uh, like, outside of Widmore's office. Charlie later remembers something that happens right after this in, uh, in Greatest Hits, and Desmond isn't weird, so therefore that's how we know that, like, this didn't actually happen later. The artwork done by Jack Bender in Widmore's office, you're like, oh, it's just a coincidence that Widmore has all of this, like, big island imagery on his, uh, like, in his, um, in his office. But I think it's partially because Widmore spent a bunch of time on the island and maybe he commissioned that. Yeah, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Okay, Desmond and Charlie and Wonderwall. So, they chose Wonderwall because maybe you're going to be the one that saves me. So, this is, this is... Eight years later, Desmond is constantly saving Charlie. And you're like, oh my god, I totally get it. I love it. But then ultimately, at the end of season three, Charlie, by dying himself, by drowning after talking to Penny and giving him not Penny's boat and everything, the reason why Desmond doesn't also die at that moment is because Charlie closes the door. So ultimately, even though Desmond saved Charlie a whole bunch of times, Charlie saves Desmond's life as as one of his last acts as an alive person. Mm -hmm. Whoa. And also Desmond and Charlie, because of this, is maybe my crack ship of Lost. Oh, you'll get to see my crack ship of Lost when we do our PowerPoints on Monday. And that's all I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Anyway, that's partially why Wonderwall is my, is one of my favorite songs. Um, I cry a lot of the times when I hear it. And it's also in like every playlist I ever make, even if it doesn't make sense. (laughs) It also, if she walks into any store, it'll just start playing. (laughs) It's really weird. And I've witnessed this like a more than zero amount of time. She's just manifesting it into the universe. She honest to God does. (laughs) So when it starts to rain after he's talking to Charlie and everything, what happens next in Charlie's timeline, um, when Desmond doesn't accost him, is that it starts to rain and he runs by an alley and sees Nadia and and saves her from the mugger and he and she calls him a hero and that's like one of the best moments of his entire life it's on his greatest hits list and so i love the idea of desmond like having this huge like internal battle of like a great man versus a good man and like just walking by charlie and then charlie immediately being called like both a great man and a good man Mm-hmm. like immediately after which i think is really cool because he always like thought of himself he's told so many times that he can't do anything he won't take care of anybody mm-hmm. 
Uh, Desmond has Donovan, who's like a physicist friend, and Desmond then <laughs> ends up with another physicist friend named Daniel Faraday, who saves him in the constant. And maybe that's actually that can be my other um, crack ship on Lost. I don't know why they all include Desmond. Don't ask me. <laughs> He's handsome. It works. Also, <laughs> Faraday's like Desmond Hume would be my constant. So, like, is it really that far? I know it's so soft and gay. <laughs> like, is it that far of off? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the flash sideways, Daniel's wearing a fedora. So like, you know, is it? I don't know. Um, But I'm like, hey, maybe Daniel could have helped you um, instead of Donovan. And I bet he would have actually believed you and helped you. I actually had that thought. I was was like, oh my God, Donovan is like the poor first draft of Faraday. Right. And then we also see Faraday's mom for the first time this episode. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I really liked the moment where Desmond is talking to Penny and asking like why she loves him and everything. And he just kind of like gets like this glassy look in his eye and she says like, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm right here. I really like the idea of like her talking about him not being inside his own mind Mm -hmm. because that's very the constant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So much of this episode in the constant, they just follow right one after the other. I feel like we need to have a whole separate conversation about the things in this episode that like foreshadow or predict or are like the part one of the stuff that happens between them in that episode because I totally agree Mm -hmm. so then we see Eloise we're still not exactly sure how she's here like I think this is this is all in Desmond's mind did Jacob send her was she originally the person who almost sold it I don't think so like this seems like stuff only Jacob would really know I know that like Eloise later um, she is willing because she is like the the temporal policeman who makes sure who makes sure that the people who are supposed to be on the island get on the island. And she does she takes that job so seriously that she sends Dan to the island, even though she knows that she's going to be the one who kills him. Mm. So like it makes sense that she would do this for Desmond, but like she's saying things that it feels like only Jacob would know. So so I'm yeah I'm not, still not exactly sure why it's Eloise. But yeah. Yeah, I guess I part of it too is like, I mean, I guess this is a place where I was sort of torn on kind of an existential level where like part of me was like, the thing that makes the most logical sense in this moment is that Desmond is unconscious and the island is sort of speaking to him through these flashbacks and you know and whatever right which we've seen before it does it to Locke all the time but but right right but also but then part of me was like but if he hasn't in in some quote-unquote real way gone back to genuinely meaningfully revisit these moments in his past then why is it so important to Eloise that he make the same choices? Yeah. Like, why does he have, like, if he's already on the island, why does he have to go to the island? Mm-hmm. If, if he's just going to wake up from a concussion and be on the island, why does it matter to Eloise that he actively chooses to sort of repeat, like, like part of me feels like it's gotta be, it's gotta be real to some extent in that he's actually traveled in time somehow, because otherwise, like, why would, why would she have to kind of elbow her way in to keep the plot on the train tracks and make yeah. him do the things that he has to do if there weren't going to be terrible, terrible consequences to him and to everybody else if he made a different choice? And part of me feels like if if it's all in his mind, if there's no real world consequences to the things he's making because it's just like a very intense kind of hallucination or it's telling him to do something in the future when you get yeah. back to the island do x oh okay and then i that's wake up not- and i go do x but that's not what it is it's like in mm. in the past eight years ago 
you have to do these same things or you won't end up on the island, which right. must mean the question of him ending up on the island or not is somehow in doubt or would be affected by it. So that's part of why I was like, I couldn't get clear on, is this like, is this a hallucination? Is this genuine time travel? Or is it, it feels structurally much more like the flash sideways. Mm-hmm than a flashback it's like it's like an alternate version of desmond colliding with with the other version of desmond and and the way that like everyone's lives are sort of intersecting Mm -hmm. i if i were to make sense of this i think like we know that this whole thing like turning the key was the catalyst of getting like unstuck in time which frucked him up for Mm -hmm. the constant right and the thing that with the constant that we see with George Minkowski, may he rest in peace, mm-hmm. is that if you get unstuck in time for too long or too, like, too much, then your brain basically, like, explodes and you straight up die. Yeah. And yeah. so I wonder if, like, this is partially, like, him getting unstuck in time so that he can figure out a way to stick himself back in time afterwards, later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he wouldn't need the constant if he wasn't stuck like that's the stakes yeah the stakes are if you're if he doesn't do the same thing and get himself back out of this thing like he's just unconscious in the jungle i guess Mm -hmm. and eloise is like you have to do this you have to do this because because this is the stake the stakes that you're talking about because they're you're right he's just in the jungle like he's just gonna wake up either way if he does it or not i wonder if it's like if you don't do this then what happens in the constant to George Minkowski and almost Desmond is expedited and he straight up just doesn't wake up. I like that. That makes sense to me because it also, it also explains why the two people who attempt to explain to him how to fix this are the mother and son, which I, mm. I like the symmetry of that. Right. And, but oh, also that, that Faraday explains it in a way that makes more sense to him. Like yes. Far- Faraday is like the way out of that. Like, so, so Eloise is like the way you fix this is to just, walk in the same footsteps of the person you were before and just do all the same things. But that doesn't take into account the fact that he's changed emotionally. Yes. And, and Faraday is like, no, the thing that you need is an emotional thing. The thing that you need is something that has deep emotional importance to you in both places. And that scientifically and mathematically, but also emotionally will be like merging those things together is a piece that will save you. And so it makes sense that like his understanding of how, like, like if we're, if we're assuming that this version of Eloise is like a manifestation of the Island and not Eloise, the person, I think so. She's sort of speaking in Island language. She's coming at it from a very like man of faith, very kind of mystical, island mythology sort of way of solving problems and Faraday is a physicist yes and and also okay so first of all it totally makes sense that this that this would be Daniel and and Eloise because Eloise is always so methodical and like robotic about that sort of thing and Mm -hmm. Daniel's the one who always like has those like feelings you know like when he first sees like we get in the in the 402 flashbacks to the science team he's like crying looking at the tv seeing that the crash happened and he doesn't even know why because he's having memory issues but also Eloise it makes sense that the island would choose Eloise because the flashback that we see in season five of Eloise telling Daniel to go to the island at this point in the canon Naomi is about to crash on the island like 
Eloise has already done that. She's already told Daniel to mm -hmm. go to the island. The freighter is already on its way. So it mm -hmm. makes sense that the mm -hmm. island would choose Eloise as that because she's already doing that job somewhere else. Yes. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I also just realized, I was looking back at my at my notes and I just realized one of the things I was going to say about David Human didn't that fits into this so perfectly mm -hmm. is that he was also what was called a sentimentalist. And that basically mm -hmm. meant, oh, which wow. you know, put, put him kind of at odds with the sort of quote unquote like rationalist philosophers of his time, which is that he believed that that ethics, that that who we are as people is primarily shaped not by like abstract moral principles, but by our emotions. Right. Like that's what drives us as people. It's not these kind of like exterior things, but like our own emotions and sentiment. And so that makes sense why the the way it actually ends up working when he gets himself unstuck from time is that Faraday's solution is something that is both scientific and deeply, deeply centered on emotion. Yeah. So, so talk to me about Charlie and Penny now. Okay. So, so this is, so the super exciting thing that I wanted to talk about sort of circling back to the stuff about, about compatibilism, about free will and destiny being sort of, you know, able to exist hand in hand is that, so like the first example that I, that, that made me think of when I was reading that was, was Charlie dying over and over again. And the thing I think is, so, so it's like, like Charlie is both destined to die, right? Like that's like that's what the that's what the fates are telling us. That's what Desmond yeah. keeps seeing visions of. But also he ends up, and I didn't rewatch the episode, but I was like rereading synopsis of it. He ends up choosing his own death. Like he ends up having. Mm -hmm. Oh, he does for sure. Like like on, in multiple layers, he ends up having so much agency in how his own death comes up, both because like he figures out from how Desmond is acting that this mission is a suicide mission and he chooses to go anyway. And then when Desmond tries to save him at the last minute, doesn't he like conk him over the head with an oar and then he goes into the boat? He does. Yeah. So like he, so like, so Charlie basically being like, like, you don't have to keep doing this anymore. Like we have, we have kicked the can down the road as far as it will go. Like it ends here whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You know, I am accepting it. Um, and then, and then like you were saying, like the, the way in which he chooses to do it, the way in which like his death finally comes for him, he makes the, you know, again, the great man and good man choice yep. to die saving, saving Desmond and also saving everybody else by being the only person who can transmit the really important piece of information that they mm -hmm. have to have and closing the door. So Desmond also doesn't drown, yeah. you know? And so everything about how it is possible for, for Desmond to be reunited with Penny, which is also then how everyone else is saved because it's Penny, like Penny comes for them because she got Charlie's message. So like all of the things that happen that bring the oceanic six back that cause all of the good things to happen that cause them to be able to re-enter the world happen because of Charlie in this moment where he is both meeting his destiny that was sort of foreshadowed you know from the first from this episode where Desmond first tells him like you know rip you eventually we just don't know when or how right so that kind of you know sets this thing in motion where now we're trying to figure out okay is it going to be this episode is this when he's going to die is this how it's going to happen is this how it's going to happen and that the way it finally happens is charlie just accepting it and charlie consciously and freely multiple times in in that same you know on that same mission making choice after choice after choice where he's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna accept it i'm letting it come like i'm going mm -hmm. to 
I'm going to let myself be sacrificed for the greater good. Not just because, you know, because in that moment he realizes like, I have to warn Desmond that this isn't Penny's boat, but also yes. because he wants to free Desmond from this torture yep. of watching him die over and over again. And so, so it's so like, that's the Charlie that I love. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the, yes. that's the deep, pure, beautiful kind of soul of like charlie at his best yeah like charlie charlie makes a lot of bad decisions especially in season two but he makes up for it for like the huge difference that he makes in season three he's a better person in season three Mm -hmm. and and the choices that he makes in his final season really bring him full circle and make and still makes me like like him overall and that's exactly how i feel about jack because season six jack and and finale jack completely retcons any bad feelings i yeah. ever had towards jack i love him in the finale and i and Me i too. love that he gets closure with his father like i yeah. i it it's something that you kind of think that you don't give a shit about in the early seasons because it's just like oh my god white boy daddy is just blah 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 blah, blah. least yeah. interesting story and then yeah you get there and then you're like no actually it feels really right that this is kind of how we enter into the emotional closure of this story. Like yes. this actually now feels like, like it had to happen and I emotionally needed it to happen as much as Jack did. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so Charlie, so, so I was thinking a lot about just like Charlie's, Charlie's destined death and also his acceptance of his death and those things both being simultaneously true. And then with Penny, I, you know, I, I was thinking, and I, and I also do want to, I want to just lift the lid and let us just sound off on the constant because of how amazing Mm -hmm. it is. And I'm sure Brittany will have thoughts, but I, what I was thinking about specifically with her is both that they are destined to be reunited. He's, he knows he's going to call eight years from now. But mm-hmm. she chooses to answer the phone. She right. chooses that in eight years, she never changed her phone number. Mm-hmm. She chooses that like she's home on like, like despite how banana pants crazy that conversation was where he's like, I won't see you for eight years and I'll call on Christmas. And she's like, what? Yeah. And it's Christmas. What? And like, we don't see anybody right. else there. Presumably she's just like at her right. house alone on Christmas. She, she's waiting for this phone call. Right. And she has that gorgeous tree. So she's a person who celebrates Christmas. Yeah. You know, but, but yeah, but she, but she was home waiting by the phone on that night in case he called, which means that like, like, and that, and that the phone rang and she picked it up. And so it's like, you know, it's like both that their love is this thing that is so kind of like larger than life and, and dramatic and, and that it's their destiny and the sort of like star crossed lovers thing. And also that every day for eight years, she made the choice that, that it was like, that it, it stayed real to her. You know, and and that she didn't forget, and that she didn't, and the, and that it, or, or the obvious cheap soap opera thing would be like he calls, but she's married, and the kid answers the phone, or something, right. something dumb and hacky like that. But it's like you can just say Jurassic Park three. <laughs> Uh, but they're going to be reunited in, in the new Jurassic World, so I haven't given up hope yet. Thank you. But uh, but yeah, so I so I think for her, it's it's both that there is something that feels kind of grand and cosmic and destined in the love of these two people, and all of the huge impacts that their love has on 
the plot on the other characters. You know, Penny's love for Desmond is how the Oceanic Six gets home. And mm -hmm. Charles Desmond or Charles Widmore ends up being a major plot driver in so many of the things we've seen yet that we don't even know he has his hand. Like all that stuff yeah. is true. And also, like, you know, the the sort of the ordinary day-to-day -day choices that you have to make to continue to love somebody who isn't there. Like, you know, like it's it's so it's both destiny and choice for her. She chooses to go looking for Desmond. She chooses not to give up on him. And she chooses it every day, over and mm -hmm. over again. She chooses to use her resources as this like bajillionaire heiress to find Desmond because even though things ended between them so badly, like he's still as important to her as she is to him. And so I just, so I love that kind of, that sort of symmetry of like, you know, he's, he's thinking about her. He's waiting for her. He's trying to find a way back to her and how we're introduced to Desmond. We feel a kind of one sidedness about that, you know, yeah. because, and I, and because she's, because she's the Penelope, you know, because she's, she's named after this incredibly sort of passive character, you know, from the Odyssey who primarily exists in the narrative to be the thing Odysseus is sailing home to, you know, like, like she, like there's a few scenes where it's like cut back to the house in Greece where Penelope is being beset by suitors and mm -hmm. she's like weaving some shit or whatever. And it's like, here's a little bit of plot about ladies, but like for the most part, like her role is to be like Gatsby's green light, you know, the yeah. abstract concept driving him onward. And she's not really a person. And, and so, so it is easy when we first meet Desmond and we find out that he's in love with this woman and her name is Penelope and they had this horrible breakup and he went to the Island and hasn't seen her for years to think of her as like that that's the character archetype that she is filling and when mm -hmm. you get further into the story and you realize she is looking for him she is sending out search parties for him she right. is doing all of this research and like and she's so smart and she's so well connected and she never gives up and she's got all of this like that she is so much more active in the plot than being like quote unquote the penelope I think that's a really amazing choice. And I like how those things are sort of revealed to us slowly kind of piece by piece. And they really sort of like the constant is kind of where we sort of first find out like all of the stuff our sort of first real glimpse of like what she's been doing and that she's that, that finding him is as important to her as it is to him. And I just think mm -hmm. that's really beautiful because that's also like, it's both destiny and choice. Like it's both the sort of grand faded love story. And also that she had to do all of this sort of nitty gritty, unsexy granular stuff, like hiring boats and like, you know, maps and satellites and like mm -hmm. all of this sort of pragmatic stuff that she had to choose. That's part of how the grand cosmic love story sort of unfolds. Mm -hmm. So true, Queen. I love it all. I literally like I have nothing to add. I'm just like that was the most eloquent way of talking about their love story that like I've ever heard. <laughs> and like, I feel like people are gonna go nuts when they hear that <laughs> this it's one's for like, you joanna yeah like it's just yes it's so beautiful shout out to joanna yeah it, that was so beautiful oh mm -hmm. i just really love them i think it's i think it's really well written and i and i i think she's such a surprise of a character because she she so immediately develops so much more depth and complexity and agency than you would expect from somebody who's introduced to us as like a woman in a photograph that a man is pining for. And I just, yeah. 
I think it's really, really wonderful that they don't sort of take the cheap, obvious route of making her be an object being pined for. And she also gets to be like a badass action hero who commandeered an entire boat and saved everybody stranded in the middle of the ocean. Right. She's the one who goes on the Odyssey. He's the damn yeah. in distress. He is. He is. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. That's so funny. All right. Well, thank you so much again for coming on, Claire. It is, as always, a delight. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's always fun to talk to you guys, and it's extra fun to talk to you about time travel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad that you uh, that you like called this um, this episode like so early on because you're like the person. For perfect person to have on for it. I am. I have had a wonderful time. I am delighted that I got the chance to be this big of a nerd about it. And we all learned a little something about David Hume. And isn't that really what it's all about? We sure did. Yeah. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> um, if you guys want to follow Claire, her um, apps and stuff will be in the description as well as the title of her book. If you guys want to go and Read check it out, book. I think you can you can buy it on Amazon, right? Yes. Yes. Read um, her book. It made me cry, but in a good way. <laughs> uh, you can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end. You can follow um, the aficionados in general at at the aficionados on a whole bunch of different places our patreon like we said before is patreon.com slash the aficionados go and check that out too like i said we have a couple more perks that we are percolating on and uh, so uh we love your guys's opinion on that if you're a patron maybe you will see some um info on that soon all right i'm excited for our next episode and i hope you guys have a great heckin day Happy birthday to me. <laughs> Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Robin. Robin. Thank you. <laughs> okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. This is why we don't do drugs. No!